Now listening to Lost Cast, the Lost Decade Games podcast. Welcome to Lost Cast, episode 217. I'm Matt Hackett. I'm Jeff Blair. We have a special guest who's been here before, and we're happy to welcome him again. Jesse Freeman. Hi, everyone. I'm welcome back. back. Yeah. I'm back. We were just looking at through the episode list. It was uh, May 9th, 2013. That was a long time ago. I can't believe it. It doesn't, doesn't feel right. It's, uh, yeah, well, you know, time flies when you're having fun. Yes. Very true. Uh, Lost Cast 31. Did 31. you like the Freeman nice shot? Yes, Is I that, did like yeah, that. I did like the title. Yeah. That's, I, I'm, I'm known for my really... Uh, quote excellent gro- groaningly excellent lost cast titles one day one day i'll actually listen to it it's so hard to like <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard to listen back to like hearing oh, yeah. myself talk yeah it's uh that's yeah. just like jeff he never listens to anything it's okay some people yes. just you know this podcast no, aren't for everybody i just say a bunch of shit and hope for the best <laughs> it's, that's what we do <laughs> you're perfect to be our lost cast i kind of hope uh, that one day having a low lost cast number is a, a badge of honor it is. Yeah. I I don't have a tattoo, but maybe that is the tattoo I should get. <laughs> Lost Guest 31. 31. OG. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you, you're here today with a mission. You've got a hot new game dev product. I kind of, I meant, mentioned it tantalizingly on the previous episode. Oh yeah, really? It's a, it's a cool retro tool. Um, how do you want to do it? You just want to give us your pitch? Yeah, and we'll sure. Start from I'll there? talk about it. So, so for the past, oh God, it's like for the past like year and a half, <laughs> Just don't I've think about the time. <laughs> painstakingly crafting a... Uh, I've been really fascinated with these fantasy consoles. So, you know, if you're familiar with Pico 8, like, I really love this concept of... I'm a big retro gamer. All the games I've built, my my wife lovingly reminds me, uh, am I ever going to build a game that looks like it wasn't built in the 80s? Um, <laughs> and I, I, I sort of decided that I love building game engines, so I might as well give take a stab at building a fantasy console. Yep. And I wasn't happy with just building one fantasy console. I, I sort of gave you the kitchen sink and the idea that you can you can basically customize it to be whatever game console you wanted it to be from the 80s. So it's called Pixel Vision 8. And uh, Pixel Vision is a name that I've been using for a really long time. In fact, uh, going back all the way to the, the Lost Cast that we did years ago yep. when I was talking about Impact JS, I had wanted to build oh, yeah. a game engine off of Impact JS. And Richard Davey and I were talking a lot at the time. And uh, this is just before he started building Phaser. And I started building Pixel Vision and JavaScript. And then I sort of got sidetracked and moved on to Unity and sort of parted ways. But for the past year and a half, I've been working on Pixel Vision 8. And the idea behind it is it's... Um, Modern, it's it's building. I see. I, I did the pitch earlier, and now like my brain. We just had a really big lunch. It's because and I was, the like, microphone time. is in your face and is recording. No, it no, no. I just I'm thinking ahead of like, don't say anything stupid, Jesse. What would Jesse do? Don't do that. Uh, it's it's basically building retro games with modern workflows. I like that. I I really I wanted the idea of, you know. It's cool to build old games, and I think it's an amazing art form. And hopefully, I can get into some of like the mechanics of how like old game engines or you know old game systems worked. But it's the idea that I also don't want to give up Photoshop or Asaprite. I don't want to give up my code editor, and I want to be able to build something with a retro aesthetic and a retro constraint, but not suffer on the tooling side of things. I like that a lot. And you see that right now. There's, um, especially last several years, right? You see pixelated game after pixelated game. They all retro inspired, you know, from Owlboy to Celeste. There's, it doesn't seem like it's slowing down at all. If anything, it seems like there's an increase in kind of games that look like that, right? So I see this need for, you know, here's a tool that helps you make games that are a little more faithful 
to the games like that, you know, because that's one thing that I uh, sometimes have a problem with is a new indie game comes out and it's like pixelated, but you'll see these inconsistencies with the pixels and stuff. Right. And you're like, it's not really abiding by the limitations. Like over lunch, we were talking about the, uh, what was that article called? The Shovel Knight? Oh, uh, the Breaking breaking the Nintendo? Breaking, breaking the, the Nintendo. NES. Yeah. And they were talking about, you know, um, uh, Yacht Club Games, how they they use the Nintendo's limitations, but then would... would increase it a little bit right like go a little bit beyond limitations just in baby steps to right. to meet reach like a modern audience and that's and that's sort of the approach that i took so with pixel vision 8 basically you can define the specs for your fantasy game console and i think that you know there's a lot of fantasy game consoles that are coming out and you know sometimes you having a constraint is really great um i love game jams simply because i want that time constraint i want to be constrained by the theme and with doing Pixel Vision 8, I, I basically was like, well, okay, it's cool. What if we hit this constraint, but maybe I need some more sprites or maybe yeah. the game is getting bigger and it has potential. How do I make it grow and move out of the original specifications I defined? So things like you could define how many colors per sprite there are. So the Nintendo supported four colors per sprite, but one of them was an alpha channel, basically, which represented the background color. So you only have three colors per sprite. It gets a lot more technical than that, but you can start with something like, okay, I have three colors per sprite, but man, if I added a fourth color, that would be really good. Mm-hmm. And you can just go in and change it. Versus, you know, I don't want I don't want you to be punished for making a decision. Right. And no one can see the future, right? And the whole idea is to have fun. I built it for primarily for game jams. Like I want you to be able to go into a game jam and have sort of all the tools that you need, but have a little bit of a constraint to have a more authentic retro feel, but also that you can say, all right, after the game jam, what do I do with my game? Well, I just spent a weekend or a month or however long the game jam is. How do I grow that into something bigger? And again, adding more sprites, adding a bigger tile map, adding more code and being able to change that after you've done something and had that idea is sort of important so that the game the fantasy console grows with your needs and doesn't lock you into a one size fits all solution. I think that's really important because we see more and more a game will start off as a game jam game, right? That's where uh, nuclear throne came from. It was a game jam game. It was called wasteland Kings yep. and it turned into this big, you know, multiple years it took to finish this thing. And that's a common thing. Cause sometimes you'll plant this really great seed with your, with your game jam. Right. And you don't want it to be this kind of thing where like, Oh, you really can't do more with it than that. Right. You want to know that. Yeah. You can keep working on it for, for months or years and have this big done game when, when you're finished. Right. <laughs> big dumb game. Well, I, I was trying done? to say done, done, done or yeah. dumb. Well, I think maybe dumb. Th- and there was done. a Freudian slip that came out. It was <laughs> this big dumb game. Big dumb game. The two D's it's both dumb and done. Like, like a lot of our it, games. Well, it's it's a there I, I approached it from a very a, a completely different angle and uh and and hopefully i remember his name now i have to turn my phone off so we don't have any interference but oh i didn't jo- allow any google jo- here. joseph who created uh, pico 8 yeah uh I, I met with him in japan last year and That's i was sort cool. of talking talking to him about sort of my approach because i didn't want to i didn't want to just copy what pico 8 is doing i think pico 8 is amazing i played around with it for a while and was obviously heavily inspired by it. But I approached it from like a completely different angle of the underpinnings of Pixel Vision 8 are C-sharp, and it's built on top of Unity. Um, nice. It actually also works on um, in Monogame as well. Like mm. it's a very, the, the, the core of it is actually open source. So there's a free open source version of the engine in C-sharp that you can write games in. 
and I approached it from that idea of like, well, some people want to actually write C-sharp games and they want to have this, you know, much bigger game, but they want to have um, a, a more authentic rendering pipeline, right? To what an original Nintendo would have had. And then the other end of it is this Lua layer, layer Lua, I said that like really New Yorker, this Lua layer. <laughs> We've mispronounced, yeah, we yeah. don't know how to, yeah. Leia. And then this, <laughs> this, that, that sits on top of it and I offer a self-contained version of it similar to what Pico 8 is and these other fantasy consoles that you can write in Lua, you can make like a little like sketch of a game and I wanted to treat it like a sketchbook. So like if I started, I can sketch out a game in Lua, the tools that are built into it aren't there to like do the pixel art, the tools are really there as debugging and I can still use all of my, like the workflows reversed. You don't build all the content in Pixel Vision 8. You actually use your own tools, your own code editor externally. Pixel Vision 8 is almost like this simulator of what the engine should run like. So you can use this sketchbook, create a little idea. And then when you're done, either port it to C Sharp, which isn't very hard because the APIs match up, or you can just wrap the Lewis stuff and then run it there. And then you can actually move back into Unity or into mono game, and there's a C a C version that's coming along as well, and like you can use this in order to build a much grander game. Right. Yeah, I know that that's a thing. Like uh, Jeff, <clears throat> we talk about this in the podcast a lot. He's known for like he will buy really nice software if it if it helps him do his job better, right? So like I know Jeff, you're the kind of developer where you really want that, right? Like, you don't necessarily want 90E to to do everything for you, right? Like you want to write your your code in Atom or whatever it is that you like at the time. And if the if the you know the IDE will bring that in, that's that's how you want to develop, right? Yeah, I, it's weird, you know. I like um, I kind of like find the best of breed uh, of each tool instead of right. having like a one stop shop, you know. Yeah, and exactly. you said you were using Asprite too at some point, right? Like you um, can use that stuff and you can bring that into Pixel Vision Eight. Um, actually, I was using something on Mac called Pixin, which is Pixin. just a pixel yeah. editor for for Mac. It's pretty good, actually. It's what. Uh, kind of my go-to for creating you know little pixel art stuff mm. on the mac now um i used to use pixelmator which is more of like a full featured photoshop oh yeah you've, yeah you've talked about that one before right yeah so i i i started out like the the prototype of it was basically i took some screenshots of nintendo games and i started nice. with tetris and i built the engine around so when you open up a Pixel Vision 8 file, it's just a zip file. I just name it .pv8 if it's that or .pvt if it's a tool. And when you open it up, you have a PNG that says sprites. You have a PNG that says tile map. You have a Lua file that says code. And you have a data file that's just JSON that, that explains all the limitations of the system. Hmm. But if you just throw in a image of a tile map, and so I took like seven screenshots of Tetris, threw it in the game engine automatically cuts up all the tiles and gives you all the tiles as really? is. and it'll optimize it so it'll give you unique tiles and put it all in the memory so the workflow at, so my background really is in art i'm like a self-taught programmer and i treated it as if you were an artist like hmm. it's not like there's coding that you need to do but the idea of the workflow is very visual so just i want you to basically design a level how you would normally design a level and it'll automatically cut up the tiles for you and then you can reference those however you want, but you can be you can have a much more visual workflow than you know having to. Because the problem with working with like these old systems, so Pixel Vision Eight is locked into eight by eight sprites, mm -hmm. and if you ever had to try to put together anything larger than an eight by eight sprite, you know it's sort of like challenging. Yes, um, being able to sort of like mock up the entire thing in two PNGs allows you to work how you want to. 
and then let the engine deal with what a Nintendo would have actually run it like. Very so interesting. Just to clarify, when you're creating like your tilemap.png, for example, you create that as if it looks sort of like a sample level, and then the engine deduplicates and cuts all the tiles up. Yep. So like so um so what people have been doing is they've been using tiled and they'll yeah. just open up they'll open up the pix so so when you load a Pixel Vision 8 game in the game creator, um the game creator is the one where you use Lua and that's going to be like Pico 8, right? Uh, it's going to be this sort of self-contained thing. When you when you uh, load up a game, it has a workspace. There's a workspace folder that it creates on your computer. And then in it is a game folder and it loads whatever game you're running into this game folder and unzips it and gives you everything. Hmm. So you basically work from the game folder. And people have just been loading the sprite sheet up in Tiled and then they're outputting the tile map as a PNG. Right. So you can still use so and that's 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 like the perfect example of what I was going for is I could build a sprite editor. I could build a tile map editor. I will never build the best sprite editor. I will right. never build the best tile exactly. map editor. You probably have one that you love. Use it. Like yeah. I want like it's hard enough to build a Nintendo game or an authentic <laughs> type of Nintendo game yeah. when you can only draw 64 8x8 eight eight sprites and you're locked in at a 256 by you know, 240 resolution. Yeah. <laughs> uh, why am I going to keep slapping your hand with using my like really shitty pixel editor? Yes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, you kind of get the best of both worlds, right? Because then people can use whatever tool they want, right? Tiled or whatever. But you also don't have to have like a really custom set of code that imports tiled, I assume, right? Yes. Like you don't yeah. actually care about the tiled map data. Right, and if you wanted to, you could just convert. You can write your own conversion and put it into a Lua file, right? Sure, and just yeah. read it as part of the Lua. Yeah. Um, nothing stops you from that. It's, I mean, the 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 one caveat is that there's still a lot that I'm building. So I I released it on itch, and it's you know early access. I'm using air quotes. You guys can't see, but it's it's early access. <laughs> Podcast air quotes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and uh, and and so like there's still a lot like you know down the line maybe I'll add. You know, a proper importer for tiled. But what I really strove for is the entire thing is literally open. And by that, um, all the tools are actually written in Lua. Um, in the workspace folder, there is an archive folder, and everything that it installs and runs is there for you to open up and take a look at. So while the game creator is I'm selling it right now for like $10. I guess it should make it like $9.99. I was like 10 even, but everyone does like that $9.99 deal. It's just a, the mind game and like the, you people the retail, like we're just used to seeing that $9.99. It's <laughs> something about it, right? It's like, look, it's 10 bucks. A penny is almost nothing, right? <laughs> so I may I may fix that, but so 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 you pay when you pay the $10 for it or maybe $9.99 by the time <laughs> this podcast comes out, yep. I don't know if I change it. Um Everything that it installs, you have access to. I don't want to hide anything from you. Nice. Um, so if you want to see how the new project tool works, just go into the archive folder and open it up. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because you want to build an importer, then just build an importer. And I provide a set of APIs that bridge from Lua to the native C-sharp layer, and you can build on top of that. And each editor has is using the same, every every tool is using the same API that a game would use. So every tool is really a game. And once you see how it works and you get that concept, you can build whatever you want on top of it. I like that. 
Now, I think you've got a leg up here. You were saying earlier, like you built it for artists, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a good, like lowest common denominator because when you build stuff for engineers, it tends to be like built by engineers for engineers. And it's this complicated mess because engineers just by nature, we're used to, you know, horrible user experiences, right? Like we're used <laughs> to having to Google it and go to Stack Overflow and, and read like a Bible to, to do like a basic thing, you know? And with artists, they're they're not usually used to that kind of, of technical problems, right? So by targeting them, you're you're targeting like people who don't need to know all this stuff to get going. And then um, that's something we've talked about in the podcast before. Is like there's this resurgence now, like this this uh, this incoming flood of artists who are like, oh, it's never been easier to make video games. Well, I make amazing art. Wouldn't this amazing art go great in a video game? And their their fans are like, yeah, make a freaking game, right? And so if they've got a nice tool that's like like Pixel Vision Eight made for artists, right? Like they're, they're more likely to gravitate towards that and it'd be there to suit them. It's like a good marriage, right? And, and I wanted it to be, um, I wanted it to be easy enough to sort of pick up. I, the idea is like, I really segregated the, the sort of pillars of what make up Pixel Vision 8 into there's a code pillar, there's an art pillar or like an asset pillar, and then there's a music pillar, mm. right? And that if you're working at a game jam with a group of people, not everyone has the same skill set. Right. So I wanted it to be, if you're a coder and you're pairing up with an artist, let the artist just mock up everything how they want it to look and then let the engine import it and deal with the messy stuff. The coder can focus on just coding. And I worked on like a whole other set of music tools in order to bridge sort of this gap between not having to do you know track-based music by hand. And uh, you know I, I, should, I should mention like, uh, I'm not the sole person who created created this. So this is it's my just take all the credit. I, I will take you. all the credit. It, it's <laughs> it's, it's uh, as, it is my baby. But um, I had the awesome awesome opportunity to work with Pedro, who goes by Saint Eleven, on uh, on Twitter, and uh, Pedro, who is from Mini Boss Studio, and made some amazing art. Um, you know, Towerfall, and I think. Uh, Oh, uh, you just mentioned one of the games that he's working on now. Is it Celeste? Yeah, Celeste. Beautiful. Yeah. It looks uh, great. Uh, well, him and Amora, who are like two of my favorite human beings on Earth. Studio Miniboss, yeah. right? Yeah. And so so Pedro did all the uh, the pixel art for the UI. He did the logo. He did all of the... Anything you visually see in Pixel Vision 8, he came up with, and he is the creative director for, for all that stuff. And uh, and Krister McFunky Pants. Yep, we've uh, had him on the podcast before. He uh, he is again. I've I've known Krister for a very long time. I I pushed very hard when he started doing the one game a month, and you know helping him sort of support it and try to figure out like how how to make it um, you know the best that it can be. Hmm. And it was a great opportunity to also work with him, and he did the music tools. And I, you know, hopefully, I'm not speaking you know, for him, but I'm sure he will agree because he's told this to me, but I literally told him that, look, I, I suck at music. I don't know anything about music, <laughs> but I know how to click on SFXer and right. make random chiptune stuff. You can click some buttons. I can click some buttons. That's right. Random, mutate. Click those buttons. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's how I make sound effects. And, and I said, can we just do that for chiptune music? Because I can never make music. And I just gave him free reign. And he went to town and built the music editor inside of pixel vision 8 actually automatically it auto generates authentic nintendo chiptune music which I've, i'm probably the most pleased with yeah i don't know if i've heard of that before like a music generator within a game maker that might yep. be one like the best best brand new 
So it's. I wish I could do generative sprites. That would be really cool, but it's oh, man. very tough. That's that's like a, a harder problem. That's a harder problem to solve. Yeah. But the music, he he knew a lot of music theory, and the, I think the, we're talking about we're going to break off that as a separate tool. Mm. And that makes sense. You know, the idea is that look, you know, if you want to have sound effects or chiptune music, you can use these tools, and it'll automatically generate it. If you're like me, who doesn't know anything about music, right? That's me too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's that's all of us. Uh, we just use Joshua Morse for all of our stuff. Yeah. So, so I couldn't have done this without Pedro and and Krista and like they did an amazing job. And you know, it it it's it's a it was a huge undertaking what we tried to do, especially given all of our schedules. But this is a hobby slash like you know love love project. Yeah. Yep. Uh, a love letter to our childhood. Yes. Um, so you know that that being said, those are sort of the the t- the, the 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 pillars of it, right? Coding art and music it is very interesting that the the music side is, is the one part where you've got the tooling within because we were just talking earlier about like you know go use i uh, use clip studio paint go use photoshop or use a sprite or, or whatever weird crap jeff's using like use that stuff right you can write code and whatever you want right uh, but then like the tools for, for music are there and I, I do kind of think that most indies are probably like they probably code they probably want to do the design and they can probably like with, like with my case where i'm like i'm just going to do the art, whether it's bad or not. Maybe I'll get better, like that kind of thing, right? But the music stuff, um, I think, is a little less accessible for most of us, you know? So I think that's good that that tool is there. I think so, too. Like, you have really good applications for tile maps, for right. images, for all that stuff, right? But, like, you know, as someone who is bad at music, the only thing that I've found even halfway workable for me is that, like, BXFR, SS, SFXR, whatever it is. Right. And even that, I open that up and I'm like, oh, sliders, buttons, holy crap. Like, you're, you make jokes about how clicking the button, you know, you can do that. But uh, I open that thing and I'm like, you know, triangle wave something, something. I, like, I have no <laughs> idea what I'm doing. So, it's like less tangible somehow, you know, you can, we can fathom pixels, right? Like we can go look at our favorite games and be like, okay, I can see these general shapes and I can make some really bad version of Castlevania graphics or Zelda graphics or something. But the music a lot of times is this nebulous mystery box of like, yeah. I don't know, boop, yeah. boop, 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 yes. ship it. It's, and like, I don't know? even know the terminology, right? Like I, I look yeah, at those yeah. programs and I'm like, I don't even know what a square wave versus a triangle wave is. Like, yeah. what's the difference? I have no right. clue. It's, it's, uh, it, it was, it was even more challenging for me to sort of design it because i had no clue what i was even getting myself into (laughs) and uh i think you know down the road what what christian and i've been talking about and uh what's definitely in our roadmap is like being able to import midi you know tracks being able to import like um nest tracker i forget what the name of the The uh, fama tracker fama tracker being able to import fama tracker stuff and get it to that i think um Early on, I sort of cut some corners um, where basically all the all the synths are based on SFXer because all the sound effects are an SFXer. Right, and so it's a it was it was a sort of uh, you know get it done quickly approach. And down the road, assuming more people buy it and keep funding uh, Christopher's work, <laughs> nudge nudge, yeah, wink, wink. nudge nudge, wink, wink, <laughs> that uh, that will um, will be able to keep adding more to it. Because I think the the goal is to have a separate art program and not necessarily just to draw pixel art but in order to take your art and make it more authentic in the sense of Mm. setting you know photoshop you really can't set a limit per sprite of what a color looks like right but my tool when you import your sprite sheet it shows you where the colors are and what you know how many colors there are per sprite 
Um, it'll cut up and optimize the sprite sheets for eight by eight. So you can use these sort of standalone tools using the music tool in order to generate out wave files down the road. You can use them as standalone if you're just, if you don't want to make a game. So I'm trying to make something for everyone, right? It's a jack of all trades, master of everything. Yep. Is that not the phrase? <laughs> that's, that's how it goes. Yeah. That's, that's exactly spot it on. <laughs> so I just have a question about the music stuff. Um, if you wanted to create your own music in another program and import it into pixel vision eight, could you do that? Um, not really. Basically all the music is, um, they, they are MIDI notes. Um, they're just saved out in a JSON format. So nothing is locked behind a like magic wall. So if you just open up the data file that the engine saves, you'll basically see a JSON of everything like down to mm. what chip is being used. So I, I architected each of the, like the display, the Sprite Ram, everything wow. is a chip. And you just sort of like tell it what kind of chip to use and you give it the settings. So you can go in and you can tweak it all by hand. And to that point, I'm I'm planning on, um, once I get past the, not this release, the second release, once I get to almost to the beta, um, which is like two or three releases away from now, I will be giving, uh, I'll be giving away. I'll be uh, having a free version of the game creator. Mm. And it'll just be the tools that manage the file system. You just won't get, the pixel, uh, the, you won't get like the sprite preview or the music tools, but I want anyone to be able to to do it. So to that point, if you want to go in and manage the JSON stuff by hand and you don't have $10, then go right ahead and, you know, you can do it. Nothing's going to stop you. It's just, it's not the best experience ever. Right. Well, you know, indies and uh, engineers were used to not having the best experience. Someone will be like, oh, you can make a game with just some JSON. Oh, I'm going to get in there and do that. Like they'll be <laughs> intrigued just by that, right? And you can still use the C-sharp library. And mm. if you don't want to do, like, if you don't want to use the sequencer, um, just go ahead and put it into Unity or put it in the mono game and then just use WAV files, right? Right. Like, I I definitely approached it from the kitchen sink mentality. Like, it's sort of, I'm trying to get it to do everything because I think what frustrates me the most as a developer is is having artificial constraints and not being able to have room to grow, hmm. right? Like ideas, ideas can have guardrails to keep you from scope creep by saying how much memory your system has or how much graphics or how much music it can store, but it shouldn't limit your creativity by saying, well, once you hit that limit, you're done. You should be able to expand and, and go further. Right. Very interesting. This is reminding me a lot of um, like our early QBasic days, the first times getting into game development. Right? I know Jeff's brain yeah. is probably there too, because like, when you were talking about the music stuff and like, it is MIDI notes and JSON data, I was thinking of the QBasic command play, mm-hmm. where you give it a string, and the string will be like you know G three, which means hold the G note for three seconds or whatever yep. it was back then, you know. And we would hit those limitations where there was a game I was working on, like a you know a role playing game, like, like Dragonway or whatever. It was big enough where I hit the limitation like out of memory. You know, and that's not the kind of error that you want to get, right? You want to get stuff like, oh, you can't use that many colors in your palette. Right. I actually think those limitations are helpful, right? But the like, you can't finish your game, you know, like, <laughs> that's yeah. no good. It would get to the <laughs> point where QBasic or whatever would just refuse to build it. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, I can't. I mean, oh, I can't. you know, like, eventually you will get to that limit, right? And just, you know, but the, the reality is, is that it, it's when, so, so when you open up the game creator, which is the self-contained tool yeah um you start out with it says like what do you want to build today and it's like you have a picture of a nintendo you have a picture of a master system you have a picture of a game boy and you have a picture oh. of a game gear please tell me like, you have clippy i don't have clippy <laughs> only because i can't render it because i've had a sprites 
like I could increase the sprite limit, but that sort of defeats the purpose. Like, like yeah. again, the tools are built in the same. All, all. So like, Pedro designed all of the artwork and, and the UI, and I've been going through and doing the UX and piecing it all together to make it work on essentially like building a image editor in on a Nintendo. And right. it's like the UI is so complicatedly t- like people are like, why don't you have a rollover? When you go over a button to tell people what to do it, I'm like, what the, like, <laughs> do you know how hard that is to make when you only have 64 sprites? Like, right, yeah. So, so like, so, so that being said, you start out with these projects and you pick what your limits are and they're just guidelines. So if you pick the Nintendo, it's going to give you three colors per sprite. It's going to give you uh, five audio tracks because I based it on the Famicom. Yep. Um, it's going to give you... Uh, what else? Um, you know, it's going to give you're only allowed to do 64 sprites. It's going to give you a resolution of 256 by 240. So it's going to set up this template for you. Then all you do is go into the settings file and it's going to say, okay, your maximum cartridge size is 350K. Hmm. But there's an input field there. And if you don't like it, you just change it to 512. And that's it's pretty awesome. I wish I could have done that in QBasic. Yeah, like that's that's sort of the idea. I mean, there are there are ceilings in the game creator because the Lua stuff will just sort of like you right. know, explode. But if, if you don't like what the game creator is limiting, again, you can just go to C-sharp and get rid of that limit, or you could just go into the data file and just edit it higher than what, you know, what it'll do. You know, your mileage may vary. Right. If you want a larger resolution, go for it. Yeah. It just might go to a grinding halt, you know. <laughs> Oops. But that's the beauty, but that's what, like those old systems were so unforgiving. Yeah. Like, sure, you could tweak memory, but it doesn't mean you're really guaranteed it. Right. Right. Yeah. I was going to ask about that. Um, so I'm interested in, it sounds like templates is what you've got, right? So you say, hey, I want to make a retro game. And, you know, that's based on the definition of, of the limitations of that console, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're presented with like, hey, a new project, you've got, it sounds like icons by Pedro. Like, I just, yep. I just want to, oh, I just want to, I want to see those and I want to like live with those. Like, cause like they're so Genesis good. and Master System and Game Boy and like, that's my happy place. They're not called that though, because of oh, you, no, legal yeah. reasons. What, what do you, what do you go with? I think, uh, Nintendo. I have a Fami. Fami. Uh, Fami, uh, Master e- e- with a, with like a big R in it. <laughs> uh, no vowel at the end. And then, yep. uh, G Boy and GG. GG. I don't know. I might Game Gear. Uh, yeah, for Game Gear. Oh, beautiful. So, so like, right. So, like, the difference between like an, the the Nintendo versus the Master System was like the Master System actually allowed way more colors per sprite, mm. and it had a much bigger color palette. So that's the other mm. thing that these systems give you like an authentic color palette. So I went yeah. on to you know whatever the wiki was for each of these systems and like got their actual color palettes. That sounds like such a fun project. So the Nintendo has sixty four colors. Uh, actually, it's like it's a little bit less because there's a lot of like black in it. But then again, if you don't like the colors, just go and change them. Change them. So how does that work? If you just you know, let's say I made a tile map and a PNG, and it's like a 24-bit PNG with all kinds of colors, right? And then I say you know, drop it into the Pixel Vision Eight. How does that reconcile with so, whatever you chose? So the first thing it does is that it loads up the colors.png file, and the colors.png file is just simply each pixel is a color, mm-hmm. and that's how you do it. Uh, you could do it by hand in the editor, but that's sort of annoying. Um, then when it goes to look at the sprites or the tile map, it indexes the sprite PNG and the tile map PNG, and it looks for the same colors that are already in the color PNG. So if the colors don't exist, it ignores it. 
I see. Uh, there's there's no such thing as transparency. Like there is no like there wasn't on yeah yeah. It's just there's either a pixel or not a pixel, and at the end when it gets to being rendered, it becomes a background color. Um, the 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 only caveat is because uh, this is where it gets complicated, right? So all these systems were palette based, and palettes are incredibly it's an incredibly complicated thing to make easy. Um, so I do support palettes, but I sort of do it in a very unique way, and it's not like completely finalized. So it's it's sort of in flux. Okay. But the idea is, if you set up your color PNG in palettes, so every three colors is a palette, and then you design your sprites to be three colors. When you go to render out a sprite, you can shift you can the like palette palette cycle. Yes, you can palette. That's cycle. cool. So where it gets really cool is the fact that. Um, if you design your artwork in, in grayscale, right? Let's just say you design your artwork in um, three colors, grayscale. You can add another file called the color map. And the color map basically tells it how to match up the grayscale color to the color PNG. Nice. And so this way you can design all your stuff in grayscale because the original Nintendo artwork didn't really have colors. It just had IDs for each character. Um, and then you just map it to what you want your colors to be, and then it'll piece everything back together. So it's like the Game Boy Color strategy. Yes. Right, where there was like the five yep, shades. Yeah, the five colors, then you could do like, oh yeah, the four, the four shades, and then you can four, and the, yeah, the background. up, it like went yeah. green. Yeah. And you could get, you know, like uh, the Zelda game especially, you could get some really gorgeous and surprisingly diverse out of just those handful of colors. Some really cool looking... Uh, so, yeah, so, so basically, whenever you go to draw a sprite, you, you basically define like, what's the sprite ID? What is the um, X and Y position of that sprite? Is it above the background or below the background? Um, is it flipped horizontally or vertically? Mm. And then the last um, bit basically represents an, a multiplier that changes all of the color values. So if you think about a sprite that has three colors, it's going to have like zero, one, two as the IDs for the colors. Mm -hmm. You change the multiplier, so make it five. It'll add five to all those numbers, hmm. and that shifts it up and down the the, the color space. So the stuff I've been playing around with lately um, is like I just took like the original Mario level and threw it into the engine just to see if it would work. And as Mario's running, I'm basically like shifting up his color value to change him from like regular Mario to Luigi to Fire oh, yeah. Mario. Yeah. So it's it's not it's not as intuitive as I'd want it to be right now. But all the plumbing is there, and a lot of what I'm doing now is making it more intuitive. Right. I've got the, a friend of mine, um, uh, Randy. I'll, if I can find his tweet, I'll put a link to it on the Twitter. He was uh, just finally going back and playing the original Legend of Zelda, and he said he thought it was a cool uh, little tweak that when you get the different colored ring and, and Link's you know, clothing changes from green to blue or whatever, uh, your little color on your map represents you changes too. And he's like, yeah. that's a nice little... Uh, you know, adjustment they made there. And someone made a comment, you know, that might just be the palette changing. Like that might have not have been yeah. an intentional, like, it, Oh, we should change the map too. No, that's just the, the, you know, that was the color that was being used and it swapped. It's, um, I spent a lot of time going through, I forget which Nintendo emulator it was, but there's an, a Nintendo emulator that lets you see the, uh, the PPU, um, which is the processing yeah. unit for, for the rendering. And it can show you the palettes and just something as simple as, the Mario 3 splash screen. And this is like, this is the goal. Like when I can actually authentically replicate the Mario 3 introduction screen, 
Pixel Vision 8 will be done. And it's <laughs> the idea it. of like, all of the artwork is there. You just can't tell because it's a black background. And they literally shift up the colors. And as they shift up the colors, it gives you that fade in effect. Oh, yeah. Because there's no notion of like fading in colors. Right? I never really thought about that. It's all palette shifting. I've seen that screen hundreds of times and, and I'm never like, huh. How did so they? if you go through in the emulator, an emulator that shows you like what's going on into the hood or that lets you separate out the layers, it's, it's, it's so well done and so well thought out. And there's so much you can do with such a very little bit of tweaking. And it's, so I'm, I'm getting very close to that. Mm. Um, Zelda really is the cool. same thing, like the opening of Zelda, that whole scene. Anytime that you saw right. a, a splash scene fade up or down, it was just shifting colors. Yeah, Zelda's really notable for that because you've got the, you know, before it starts scrolling down on the waterfall, yeah. the whole the whole screen does that. And they're almost just like showing off. It's like, you know what we could do is just like, like <laughs> make it look weird before we go to the next phase. But it's it's cool. And that's a very like finite moment in time. You know, it's people like us who grew up in those consoles. We see that and we're like, yes, he salivate the mouth. <laughs> and you can see that kind of thing kind of emulated, but it, it never looks like you can tell when it is like a, an actual palette cycle, right? And not like, um, you know, uh, trying to emulate it. Yeah. And it's, uh, and I think that's, so, so like the last game that I wrote before I started doing this was, uh, my, my dragon sweeper game. And I'm forgetting now who, who was on Twitter is someone I respect, someone very influential in the indie space was just like, he was telling me like he was having trouble playing my game because it wasn't, it, it's, it's a Game Boy style game. It looks like, um, Dragon Warrior, uh, Andrew, uh, Sandifer, uh, who goes by, um, uh, 2D Heroes. He, he, he created like a lot of my, like my game art and, uh, you know, he does amazing Game Boy style art and it just, the problem is he was saying that he's like, he couldn't play it because it, the pixels weren't lined up properly. And I was using Unity's UI system and like, you can't get it to be pixel perfect. Right. And then I'm like, he's right. This is shit. I'm going to build this from scratch. <laughs> and that was a your year catalyst? and a half later. <laughs> yeah. You're like, damn it, man, you wait the next year and a half, year and a half of my life, you've said on Rails, how could well, you? But I knew it I knew it in the back of my head, but to your point, it's like, we, we grew up looking at this stuff, and then you can completely see when it's emulated, and it looks fake. Like, it doesn't yeah. match up. This, like, the inauthenticity, right? You, you can spot it, you can smell it, and you're like, that's not, quite, and you don't want to complain, because then you're like, dude, go back to the 80s, man, but you're like, it matters. Well, and I think that, like, there... There's something really special about being able to design a splash screen that only has 12 8 by 8 sprites and does, you know, 30 seconds worth of animation with eight colors and a, a little bit of, of sprites. And, it's and a I think, feat, right? It's like a marvel. Like it, It's amazing that, that people do that. It's a lost art. And also, not only is it a lost art, but it's something that everyone takes for granted. And in fact, just, just building the renderer today, everything I'm doing is a software-based renderer because modern graphics cards just don't handle palletized artwork. Like right. stuff that used to be free is now super expensive to emulate. That's interesting, isn't it? It's, it's almost easier to think like, yeah, 64 million colors, whatever. Like computers, I like, guess no problem. But it's like, no, I want this finite thing and I want to be able to cycle through them. And it's like, oh, well, that's actually going to be kind of expensive. Yeah. And and so what I wanted to capture most of all with Pixel Vision 8 was that moment where I could write a blog post and be like, let's take a look at how Super Mario 3 splash screen was created. Please. And write this that. engine will do it. Right. And you don't have to learn assembly. 
and you don't have to struggle with arcane tools and you don't have to use graph paper, which is what they used back then. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Something I was going to mention earlier was like, you know, I've had that feeling of dipping into unity before and it's like, you know, I know unity is like kind of the standardized tool that everyone uses and it's got a lot of power and like, I want to make some 2d retro games. Like, here we go. And you get sort of overwhelmed by all of the 3d stuff that you don't necessarily need. Right. Like, yeah, it's, 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 it's a challenge. I've been using unity since they introduced the 2d stuff and I sort of have like a love hate relationship with unity. Um, I love the concept of it. Um, but a lot of like, if you just want to build simple 2D games, it's really challenging. And you know, one of the reasons I'm actually out here in LA is that I've been doing uh, uh, Linda courses. And I think I have, it's even scary when I say, I have a lot of Linda courses. I have like over 20 Linda courses just talking wow. about building Unity, 2D games in Unity. Because something that should be very simple actually requires a lot of forethought and thinking because the more authentic you want it to be as a 2D game, as an 8-bit game, the harder it is. Because again, modern hardware doesn't want to do this. And so we're at the point where, you know, the actual physical media is very hard to come by, right? Like we've lost, you know, I was so excited when I opened up Breath of the Wild and got the physical cartridge in the box and there's no fucking manual. (laughs) No fucking manual. Like I would, I like we were talking before we even started about just like collecting games and yeah. like I have an extensive collection of games and the most important thing to me isn't the game, it's the box and the artwork. Right. It's there's so much love and so much stuff put into the game that's not just the game itself and it's gone. Right. Like we don't even yep. have that today. Right. I think Matt and, was complaining about that very thing last <laughs> last episode. I, I complain about everything, but I don't like. <laughs> We were we were talking about how actually I was complaining about there was an instruction manual, but on like conversely, I don't really want you know construct instruction manuals. And I've thrown like I used to keep them all in a shoebox. And over the years, I'd be like, do I really need you know Final Fantasy Adventure strat like yes. instruction booklet? Yes, you do. Well, sometimes I do. See, right behind you, we've got like my some of my most prized possessions: Golden Axe Warrior and Miracle Warriors. Like some of my master second Master System games I grew up on, and they don't just come with instruction manuals that are well thought out. They also come with maps. Yeah, I treasure that stuff now. You know, like I still love it. It's it's a uh, it's. It's something that I, I'm 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 starting to instill in my boys and uh, my oldest. I, somewhere I went wrong with him. I don't know why. He's he's seven, and uh, and he loves too Sonic. Late. Too late no, he loves Sonic, and I'm a Mario <laughs> fan. He didn't grow up. What happened? He didn't grow up in the East Coast versus West Coast war of video games. Um, but you know, it's 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 like I went to his school to talk to his his second grade class about games, and I brought oh, with cool. me. Um, Mega Man, which I didn't really think of as so inappropriate with the cover of a guy shooting another person, even though it's like the worst cover ever designed. Oh, but, uh, yeah. So I didn't think about that. But I brought with me, like, um, I brought Mario Brothers 3 and just opened it up. And my son was so excited. Like, he couldn't sit in his chair because he was so happy that his dad is the guy who makes games and came into his class to talk to the class. That's awesome. But he's like, Dad, can you read the story of Mario Brothers 3? And like, when was the last time you thought about, like, oh, what's the story of Mario Brothers 3? Read this. There's a story? There's a story in the manual. And I showed the kids, like, like one of the things that got me into video games was, like, just looking at the manuals and just drawing the artwork that was in the manuals. Mm. Zelda, Mario, um, Mega Man, they all had amazing artwork in them. They did. So, now that I've gotten so off on that tangent, it's like, that that's lost, right? But just the, the concept of 
how do you build something really complex with only a few pixels? And a a, a pipe dream of, of where I want to get with the engine is, um, as an aside, I wrote, I don't know if you saw this stuff that I was doing on Twitter, but I wrote something really crazy, but I, 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 this wasn't crazy enough. Um, I wrote a decompiler that'll basically take my code and convert it into a step-by-step -step tutorial. Wow. Um, so it's the same concept of like how you document code, uh, except it unwraps the code and basically shows you step-by-step -step how to rewrite it. So if you follow it hmm. exactly how it tells you, it'll always give you compilable code every step of the way. Um, it reads the comments and... Uh, it'll put the comments above it. So if you write very detailed comments, it'll look as if it's a handwritten tutorial. What I want to get to is the point where if you upload a game to the Pixel Vision 8 website, which I don't have yet, um, when I build this website and you upload your game, it'll just basically read the Lua file and then give a tutorial of how to make that game along with the artwork. Because I want this idea of you should be able to look at a game and... Pico does a really great job. Like you can look at the carts and you can sort of see what's in there. But I want you to understand how it was structured. Like this is the artwork. These are the limitations. But this is the step-by-step -step how to reproduce this code. And get it to the point where building games for Pixel Vision 8 isn't about just like building your, you know, little slice of childhood. Mm -hmm. It's about teaching others how you built it and keeping that knowledge share going because everyone is so closed source now. They build a game. They don't yeah. talk about how it's built or it's so complicated no one even has a fucking clue if you got the source code to any you know pick an indie game would you even know how to start looking through it it's this the rare one where they actually do take the time you know like they're the the indies who care a lot about that thing will have a developer diary or something but they very rarely take the time after to be like okay let's pick apart you know how we made this let's talk about the technology let's throw a bone to people who want to be doing the same kind of stuff that we're doing you know they exist but they're few and far between and they're all in gama sutra the only place that exists you know there's not like several communities of like oh look at all this great code and like here's a walkthrough of how we did this and it's all open source now there is this like uh it's kind of privatized you know people are kind of like it's a combination of you're kind of ashamed that your code doesn't look that good or you <laughs> like i look the game is done and it works and it's pretty stable but i would not recommend you do it the way we did it right <laughs> and therefore they want to hide it out like they, they don't want to show it to you and be like they're proud of it like look at this and learn from it and do it the way i did it you know there's lots of things that keep people it's like there's more incentive really to be right. more private with it and keep it from the public one well, and uh and you had zach bell on and we were, we were talking yeah. before like zach zach and i have become uh, good friends over the past year and like he did a really great thing and i love what they did with the uh game maker bundle on um humble bundle on humble bundle where yeah. they gave away the source code for games That's i cool. mean and he'll be the first to like sort of laugh at like you know game maker just in the nature of where you put code sort of everywhere uh makes it very hard to follow and sort of things become you know uh convoluted very quickly yeah but i, I really i i really am obsessed with this idea of being able to archive more than just how these old games were made, but to kind of like hand the torch to the next generation. It's right? like people that, you know, craft steel swords from scratch, right? Like the, the lost art of smithing your own stuff. Hmm. Yeah. And it's totally impractical. Like how, you know, how often do you really need to know, you know, how to pallet shift, you know, pallet shift, but it's, it's the, it's that mentality of, you know, building something complicated in the simplest fashion possible hmm. with the least amount of, you know, resources. 
we talk about this sometimes the end result a lot of times is relatively simple right mm-hmm. especially with like a game design but also with the tech and stuff but the thing is the road getting there is so complicated right and you might have thrown out three iterations and you're like the version the code is at now this has been refactored like five times like you should have seen it a month ago when it was just a mess and like i could barely make sense out of it even though i wrote it like what a spaghetti mess of code right right but then the end result you finally get to it looks simple it's like oh no this is the code it's just into component system or it's just this thing but you don't see the battle it took to get there right right and and i think like uh and that's that's sort of what i love about the game creator for pixel vision 8 is like because you only have one lua file you you have to think very creative about where stuff goes but that it's also easy to take it apart and show people like you know if you comment your code and you do it right it could actually make a pretty cool tutorial Mm. and just you know democratizing game development education like not everyone is a really good writer like not everyone can go and do you know the stuff that i do at lindo where i sit down and knock out a training course right i mean um but there are people who are very smart and have a lot to share with the world and being able to give them a voice to keep this cycle going. Yeah. I think it sort of mirrors like the experience I have with HTML5 sometimes. I mean, on one hand, HTML5, like there's a lot of stuff going on and it's complicated. But one of the things that initially attracted me to making games for the web was that the Canvas API is dead simple, right? It's just like put these pixels here. That's it. Like that's all it does, right? Um, and JavaScript is a pretty simple language. And, you know, if you just kind of, you, you can get off the rails, obviously, with like modules and package managers and NPM and all that stuff with JavaScript. But like at the heart of it, it's just here's a chunk of JavaScript and it runs, you know? Right. And here's a canvas and you can put pixels on it. And like, that's it. That's all you get. And it's simple and it's, you know, it's elegant to an extent. It's obviously sitting on top of a lot of layers <laughs> of complexity, but I always found that experience to be sort of refreshing, you know, just being able to sit down and like the canvas API, like you can understand the core of that API in, you know, a couple days. Right. And and you can, you know, like 3d, you know, by comparison, OpenGL and and WebGL are like, they take the learning curve is a lot higher. Yeah, totally. And I, I, I struggled with that a lot. Like, you know, again like going back to like pico 8 like using a, a, as reference and inspiration a lot of like just simple things like the methods are very truncated right you have a very uh, limited amount of memory that you can write your script in so like clear is like cl right and mm. if you look at like my api clear background says clear background um i i all the apis are super descriptive because as much as i would love to keep games under 10k I really want um, clarity to be forefront, right? I want you yeah. to be able to intuitively look through an API list and be like, oh, this makes sense. And mapping that from the Lua stuff. So if you build a game in Lua, um, you can quickly port it from Lua over to C Sharp because the APIs are literally the same. Uh, you know, as long as you're not getting to like the crazy shit that Lua lets you do, like, the fact that I don't know if you guys have ever used Lua, which is no, not really. Oh yeah, well, it's like sort of like JavaScript with like none of the good parts. I heard the effort similar. <laughs> yeah, it's I'm not very big on JavaScript either. So it's it's a well, basically, there's no objects. You just have a table which acts like an array, and then everything is sort of that, and then that's it. Um, good luck, and, have fun. Well, and also uh, indexes start at one, um, which normally isn't. A terrible thing um with the exception of when you're building 
that on top of a language where indexes start at zero. Uh, you're gonna have so of, many just like you're gonna fall in that trap a yeah, lot. Yeah, most right? of my year was like, was that a zero or a fucking one? <laughs> Fixing what up was, by one year. Most of my year. <laughs> what was I doing? So I uh, highly suggest not putting a Lua VM on top of your game engine unless you can avoid it. Mm. So can you kind of like explain the workflow a little bit more with these various tools? Like can I use these libraries as is? Do I have to use the game game creator or Unity or Mono sure. game? Uh, yeah, I know it's it's super confusing because I haven't had a chance to really like take a breath and and like explain it. But let's start at the basic, right? Um, at at a high level, um, there is a Pixel Vision SDK, and Pixel Vision SDK is a pure C sharp implementation of what a fantasy console platform should look like. It handles different types of chips a chip is just a plugin so there's a chip for storing sprites there's a chip for dealing with tile maps there's a chip for displaying there's a chip for handling colors and then there's a chip manager that loads these into memory and then there is a engine that handles the game logic like the loop and all that stuff and then there's a runner right so we walk sort of backwards from an individual component that makes up a fantasy console to the actual entire console. The runner, since it's pure C-sharp, can be in anything that can use C-sharp. So I use Unity. I have a version of it that also um, that also runs on a mono game. And that's completely open source. So you can go, you can use it, you can tweak it, have fun, build some cool shit with it. I'd love to see it. Um, but it's very abstract. Right, like I, I released that first, thinking like, "Wow, everyone's gonna like love this," and yeah. like nobody understands it. And <laughs> I've even been trying to document it, but like it's so abstract. Right, uh, the next level is the game creator. The game creator is a self-contained development environment, and that, in essence, is you open it up like a program. It gives you the templates, is a GUI, it shows you everything, and it uses Lua. So the caveat is that in order to make it runtime, I had to use a scripting language. Um, and it's built on the same SDK. The only difference is that the game creator handles all of the nitty gritty that you don't want to deal with, right? It handles like with... Interfacing with the C-sharp SDK, right? Yep. It, it handles the C-sharp SDK. It gives you tools so that you can see what's going on. It gives you a templating system. It gives you a file format. So there's, it's a standardized way of saying, like, all right, I want to make a Pixel Vision 8 game. Um, it's going to be a Pixel Vision 8 game for the game creator is a zip file that simply contains a colors PNG, a sprites PNG, a tile map PNG, a Lua file, and a data file that describes the system's platform, right? Or the system's like limitations. The game creator loads up this data and injects it into uh, Pixel Vision's SDK. So you don't have to deal with that. So it takes all the, like, it does all the heavy lifting. It also puts a workspace on your system. It has the concept of archiving a game when you're done with it, loading it back up when you want to work on it, uh, switching between games, like all the stuff that you'd have to write from scratch in C Sharp, this does. And so and, how do you yeah. distribute that version of the game? So that, so the game creator is on itch, itch.io. I mean, right? like as a user, how do you oh. distribute it? Oh, right now... Um, Right now, you basically just you can send somebody the uh, the the PNG or not the PNG the um, the dot uh, Pixel Vision Eight file, the zip file, right? 
Uh, we've been trying to figure out if there are ways that we could do um, like embedded in a PNG, similar to like what uh, Pico does. Um, I really don't like that idea too much because a big part of what I want is not to hide things. So I give it a custom file name just so that it's not a regular zip and to make it a little bit easier to load. But I want you to be able to get a file and just unzip it and see what's inside. Right. right you and, would have to have Pixel Vision 8 in order to run that zip yes. file? Okay. Yes. Um, what I'm planning on doing uh, for the not this, uh, two releases from now is coming up with a um, making the runner, uh, which is the open source part of it, a little bit more robust where you could take a zip file dump it into Unity's like resource folder and then hit publish from Unity and have it make a full game. And it'll just unload the zip file and run it for you. So it'll basically be like the game creator light. So the the separation goes something like this. Um, because uh, at some point, uh, I've invested a lot of time and money into building <laughs> it. Um, I, I, I don't plan on retiring on this, but I do ask that people who like it try to support it. Yep. I would love to pay Krista more to keep working on the music tool. I would love to pay Pedro more to make awesome artwork for it, right? And, you know, my kids need Sonic games. So, you know, <laughs> that all being said, I, I only put a price tag on on the tools and the stuff that I feel are, like, above and beyond what anyone could just open up that and That makes use, sense. Right? Uh, and like I said, I, I want to give a free version out. I don't... I would make the whole thing free if I could. If you didn't need to uh, eat. Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I, this is a hobby, right. but at the same time, it's a, um, I think it's a hobby completely fair, Daddy right? Like you've already put out this core as like an open source thing, right? Like you should be able to monetize the efforts, you know, fruit of your labor. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's tough. And I get, I get, it's funny, even in the early stages, I'm getting like a lot of messages from people like, I don't have $10, but I really want to use it. Can you help me out? And it's like. You know, I, I, I want everyone to have access to it, right? And it's, you know, it's a fine line. Like, it, you know, a hobby doesn't always mean that it should be free. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. it's a... Uh, it's like, you know, go mow two lawns like I did and then buy it for 10 bucks. It's, it's a weird thing having to, like, justify if, if you want to put a price tag on something. You know, it's like you put your own time, your own money your own yeah. sweat into it. You know, all the most valuable resources you have are put into the tool. And then to some people, you still have to justify why you ask for what is honestly software wise, especially something as complicated as a game development platform. Not a lot of money. 10 bucks yeah. is nothing in that realm. Right? It is. And you know, I think, you know, the, the problem is like when people are getting started, $10 can be a lot, right? Like, you know, as a New Yorker, my, concept of money is completely different than the rest of the country because of just like our cost of living is just i think it's true was it like the, the if if i made like fifty thousand dollars in houston i would have like the same cost of living as like you make like two hundred thousand in new york yeah right? like it's yeah it's i so could live skewed. like a king back in where i'm from in illinois like it, near so kentucky I, I try really hard to under to 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 accept that not everyone's in the same financial situation of course right? yeah yeah um but you know it's a a big part of what I do with like these Linda courses uh, really has just been paying to keep the game engine going. And it's like, I, you know, I do side work to do my side work. Like, it's like, it's, it's, it's a strange work, concept. Work, work, work. But, you know, uh, that being said, I, you know, it, it's a, at some point I want as much of it to be 
out there for free as possible. And uh, I, I've also been looking at like Patreon and seeing like Pedro has had like huge success Whew. on his Patreon. Uh, You're also stuff. Rich Davy doing doing very nicely with uh, with Phaser. Yeah, and and I, I was thinking like going to the Patreon model um, as sense. well. It's um, you know, there, there's a lot of things I want to experiment, and I think the coolest thing now is like actually being in a position to do that, like because it's my engine, because it's my thing. I have the autonomy to say like I can make it free if I want. I could charge for it. I can, I can play around and and right. experiment yeah. with monetization models that no one you know really can experiment with because selling a tool versus a game is a whole different thing. You could do something like you know when we get to X amount of dollars per month on Patreon, then the game creator becomes free or something. And and I I, I really thought about that. A big part of what I did with um uh with two D heroes is. This all started because we were at a game jam and we wanted to make... Actually, the real story of how this all started, although he's probably going to want half or whatever, he, he'll, he'll call me up and, and complain. Uh, Andrew and I were at the, at a game jam and we both were like, we want to make like a Mega Man clone. And we've been joking around like, you know, jump and shoot man, jump and shoot man. Mm-hmm. And so he started making all the artwork and I sat down in Unity and I'm like, holy shit, this isn't going to work because like the 2D stuff isn't meant for Game Boy style games. And... We were like, and he was bitching at me because it wasn't pixel perfect. And like, we were just going back and forth. Yep. And so I said, look, how about this? You just make some art and I'll pay you to make all these arts. So like I have, he, he did a Mega Man for me. He did a Mario Brothers sort of clone. He did a Zelda, uh, Metroid, uh, Dragon Warrior, which wow, is what dude. my Dragon Sweeper game is uses. Yeah. So I've been paying him to do all this artwork. And then I'm like, one day I'm going to make a game with it. And then I realized, well, you know, I just make the game engine because we couldn't make the game. And eventually... Where I'm going with this, like, I want to sell these art packs as part of it. Like, so imagine when you start mm. a Nintendo game, it comes with art. And I would love it where the tools are free, but you buy the artwork. Yeah. Because I think what's more important, I don't care if I make any money on it, but Pedro, uh, Krister, Andrew, these are all amazing, talented people in the industry, and they deserve to eat. They deserve to continue doing what they do and be paid for it. And your project, Pixel Vision 8, is clearly benefited from the hard work and sweat they put into it, right? Like oh, it yeah. looks gorgeous and Christopher's music tool is super cool. It's funny how like, you know, you're almost not allowed to charge for something technologically advanced, like a tool, like, like it, oh, it should be open source software or something. But when you start to get into realms of like, of this art packet, then people are more okay. It's like for right. so, in some capacities, like the time an artist or a musician spends on something is, is seen as worth money whereas sometimes like engineers who programmers right we often get paid very well when we're working on something people are like no you can't charge for that right like you it should be free and open source i don't know though because i've seen quite a few people on twitter who have you know posted these screenshots of people that are like hey draw me an avatar and the person's like sure yeah that'll be like 30 bucks or whatever and they're like what that's crazy like what's that's, wrong that's with you fair that's fair too i've seen a lot of those yeah i follow oh, yeah. artists on twitter well, and they want free work i too. mean they're they're shysters everywhere, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, I, I, it's it's a. I think the the difference really is that everyone expects something for free. They don't understand the value of the time that's gone into it, and I mean, right now I'm like maybe a fifth of the way of making the money back that I've spent on just Pedro and Krister, right? Um, and it never ever was an option for me to go to like Pedro and be like, Hey, I've been wanting to work with Pedro 
since before he did Towerfall. Like I have loved his and Amora's artwork. And I, 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 I saw it years ago and I was like, look, I just want to do a project with you. Like I will pay you to do a project yeah. with me because I just want to work with you. But I would never... Abuse. You'd never approach him and be like, do free work for me. Yeah, do oh hey, this is gonna be really good for your portfolio. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You'll get great exposure. Right. And like and he got like super busy and you know, after after that, you know, that game blew up and you know, he's been busy and we finally got this one window where we work together. Um, but right, it would never occur to me to ever ask someone for their their skills for free. And it was the same thing when I when I consulted, it's like, hey, I charge a rate. This is my rate. It's non negotiable. You want it or you don't, and we move on. But but software people don't get it because they just want it. They expect right this is open source mentality. Yeah, and you know a lot of times it'll be like, um, oh wow, Photoshop is you know fifty bucks a month or five hundred dollars or something, and then they go download the GIMP, and there there is this kind of inconsistency there where it's like there is a lot of times an open source open source version of something that you want to get, and I think that just the fact that that's a true thing. A lot of people can get confused by that. Like, why in the world would Adobe charge for this thing? And yet they have probably thousands of employees with big salaries. And like, it's the, the most, like the best uh, top of the line software package you can get for pushing pixels and stuff. Right. And then right. you have an open source alternative, which is kind of like, you know, following it. Like it's, it is comparing apples and oranges sometimes, but it does create this, uh, this kind of mentality where it's like, why would you charge for X, but not Y? That kind of thing. I think Joe Pesci said it best with the, uh, fuck you pay me. <laughs> <laughs> it's i mean it's a i mean it, it's it's tough i mean that you know we were talking we were talking before this at lunch about about like that new yorker mentality yeah and that new yorker mentality really is that like it's it's a notion of like my time is money time is money yeah. like and not only is my time money but the time that i work on my game engine is time that i don't spend with my kids yeah like it's time that i don't spend with my wife it's more than money it's uh it's it's me it's a resource right? you can never get back, right? Yeah. And yeah. I have such a delicate balancing act of trying to decide, I have an hour today. Where do I spend my hour? Right. Do I spend it with my wife? Do I spend it for me? Do I spend it with my kids? Yeah. Do, do I, I spend, spend it on it this? BSing with Matt and Jeff? Yeah. Do I, spend- <laughs> <laughs> do I spend it here in LA? <laughs> Do I spend it in traffic getting here? Yeah. Like, right? all, all of the above. All of the above, right? <laughs> Until you realize that there's only 24 of these hours in a day and you can only do so much. And you're not going to live forever. Right. Yeah. These are all things to consider. Yeah. And, so. and something about California too. Like it, it's really interesting talking to you about, about the different coasts, right? Because, uh, you know, I've never been, I never lived in New York. I, I don't experience that kind of stuff every day, but I get it through people I know and, and media and stuff. But like in California, there is this kind of like, Okay, Google mentality. Just make it for free and give it away, and we'll figure out the money stuff later. Oh, that, yep. that fell. We'll figure out the money stuff later, right? Like, the, like this startup mentality, right? Like, it be, like the freemium thing. It begins free and like, eh, the money will come, right? That's not always going to work for everybody. That's not always what reality is. It's uh, I, I think I think I finally launched Pixel Vision Eight in its current state because I felt bad going every day back and forth with Zach over what I should do to monetize it. Mm-hmm. And it's a struggle. Like I really want it to be free. I think, you know, the at the end of the day, it's 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 that everyone should be able to make a living doing what they want, right? But that's not reality. And it's it's the it's the how do you how do you do just enough to get a, a little bit of time in to do what you love, where it doesn't jeopardize everything else that you're trying to balance, mm. 
right? And that's why like games for me will always be a a night project. It'll always be a side thing. Hmm. I would love to do games all day long, full time, twenty four hours a day, but it's just it's not going to be that because I have to balance so many other things and I have to be very careful. There's very about that few time. people that get to do that. Yeah, yep. and it's it, it is a it's a privileged thing, right? Like it, it's a gift. So the the uh, the one thing that I am very cognizant of, especially because it's in early access, using those air quotes. Yep. <laughs> um, is that I I am very grateful to the people who've already paid for the engine, and I will be taking super special care of them. Um, I have gotten such great help from the community of people who've started picking up uh, the open source version and the people who have purchased the early access and have actually been using it nice. and the feedback. And what I don't want to do as I experiment with monetization is, you know, take their support for granted and making sure that the people who are, you know, if you're, if you're on the fence of like, why would I buy software that's not finished? Um, it's that I will be taking care of those people that nice. they will get their money's worth. Yeah. Um, because it's important to me. Like for those who support you early, it's like a whole, it's like the flip side, right? Now I have to go above and beyond. I'm indebted yeah. to you. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a pretty good selling point, right? Like uh, now is the opportunity. Cause you know, if, if it takes off a year from now, it might be a different story where you're like, I could not possibly keep up. Like now is the opportunity. You can get in there, get in early, you can influence the tool and you can, uh, yep. Pick Jesse's brain about it. And the price will probably go up soon. <laughs> there, oh, hey, there, there you go. There's a real every every incentive. release. I'll just increase the price by a dollar, <laughs> ninety nine cents. Yeah, there was we used to agonize over pricing too, especially before we actually had anything for sale on various markets, you know. And there was a, a common because uh, Jeff and I were researching articles and stuff. A common thing was whatever price you're thinking of, just double it. Yep, right off the bat, because you know you're gonna especially at these early stages, right? We all claw and scratch for these sales, and we get like a small amount, and we're like, oh. And if you can get twice as much from them, like chances are you probably would be able to, you know, if you can finally convince someone to support something at that point, pricing is really hard. And yep. that's the thing too, we are talking about money earlier, right? Like it's always relative, like $10 to one person is a very different thing to $10 uh, to somebody else, right? Right. It's hard. Yep. And I mean, like I said, it's like the, the, the money literally directly goes to the people I've had help from building it because, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, Pedro and Krister and Andrew are amazing, talented people in the indie space, and they should be able to continue doing what they're doing. I'm so glad that Pedro's like his his uh, Patreon stuff is amazing, almost to the point of where I'm sort of like, "Hey, buddy, remember <laughs> I have pixel remember your old buddy Jesse? <laughs> remember remember I used to pay you? Yeah." <laughs> No, it was never like. I mean, he's. I've always, I've always been squeezed in between. Like, I mean, he's working on so many amazing games. I bet. I mean, uh, busy. you know, just to get a fraction of his time is is honestly like you know an amazing opportunity. I don't get to really work directly with like people I look up to in the industry as much as I I wish I could. Wow, me too, man. Yeah, so. very true. Yeah, I was talking to some people at GDC, and they were like, "Man, those." those saint 11 animated gifs like you, the first time you see one you're like oh genius and they were like i was talking to pixel arts he's like why didn't i think of that now it, it's too late well no, well no it's not too late because there's all kinds of like there's all kinds of copycats that are popping up and i'm oh, seeing I bet, like I bet. i'm seeing it come up but you know it's a you know you know talking about the pricing thing like when 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 pedro and i were talking about this stuff like we were getting to the point where i, I wanted to redesign the font and 
you know, I'm like, just, you know, tell me what it'll cost. Like, I, you know, I'll pay it. He goes, can I just release the font for free? I go, yeah, I don't give a shit. I'm like, I'll pay you and you can release it for free. He's like, I'll just do it for free. And I'm like, okay, sure. Whatever, whatever you want. And he is such, he wants all of his stuff out there for free. Yeah. And like, I love the way that he did it where it's such a leap of faith. As a New Yorker, I don't think I could ever take that leap. It's almost <laughs> like, a, you know, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade where you have to walk across that, you know, the gorge and oh, you don't yeah. know there's a bridge that's painted there. You yeah. just sort of like walk and you, you get it. I'm the one who's like throwing sand throwing to make sand. sure there's something yeah. there. Yep. And, you know, he he doesn't charge. Nothing's behind a paywall, I don't think, on his Patreon. It's just people are supporting him to make those gifts. Yep. And he gives it away. And, and a big part of what we talked about was also all the artwork he created. Uh, you know, I, I'm planning on open sourcing. So all the UI stuff, all the buttons and the icons, mm. you'll be able to get access to that down the road. I, right now, I'm just struggling with getting a, uh, a vehicle for loading in uh, asset packs into mm. a template. But once I get that going, you know, we want it to be like there is a tool template where you can just build a tool. And I want you to have that artwork. You know, his stuff is it shouldn't be behind the paywall. Um, we just want to get to the point where everyone everyone gets to eat. That is, that is a pretty reasonable thing. goal, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know why I have so much guilt even talking about it. Like, it's, it's so what we're talking about. It's it's the weird thing. Like, you know, people don't buy mobile games. They, they cry about a dollar, and it's like, well, there's an open source thing that's similar to yours. Why is yours cost some small amount of money? Like, it's all that stuff. It's. I think it's hard, right? Because you know, we've almost as creators, you know, like in a global sense, created this problem for ourselves, right? By, you know, having all these great pieces of content for free on the internet. You know, it's like back in the early days when people were releasing just flash animations that took them time and effort to create that people were enjoying, right? To, you know, all these free flash game portals. Like people are just used to getting all this stuff at a click of a button for no for no price. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, and like my intention is never that, oh my God, I'm going to do this and, and retire one day on this. It's, I... This is the culmination of my midlife crisis. I, I've been collecting all these like classic games, and I'll never buy like a. I'm. I mean, I love sports cars, but I'm not a go buy a sports car kind of guy. Yeah, me neither. Uh, but the it's the idea of like I am building my childhood. Like it's, it's cool. and and letting other people like experience that in a not creepy kind of right. over your shoulder, breathing <laughs> down your neck sort of way is I think you know awesome. And you're kind yeah, of like, like passing on the craft to the new generation, right? Yeah. I think that, you know, the, I think the craft is also, yeah, like see, just seeing how Pedro does his artwork and um, cast pixel and so many other like great pixel artists on Twitter. It's, it, it's amazing that they're, they're so good at it and it really is an art form, right? You just Absolutely. take, I mean, my wife just totally like, just like, uh, yeah, it's just a bunch of colors on a screen. It's, you know, from the 80s. Like, you know, but it's, it's, you know, she doesn't get it because she doesn't, she doesn't live the struggle. You can dismiss anything, right? Yeah. But the moment you start putting your own pixels together and you're like, I think I can make some sprites and you do it and you're like, Bleh. like, that's ugly. And then you go look at some of the classics and then you see them animated and you're like, that's hard to do. Like well, they had some real skills. And, and when you actually look at them eight by eight, they're so simple. Mm -hmm. Like eight pixels by eight pixels is 64 pixels. That's such a small area to yeah. make something that's unique and, you know, readable, 
readable. Like, yeah. I mean, but of course, like everything is much bigger. Like they pieced it together, right? But even the concept of like Mega Man is actually five sprites. It's four sprites to make his body and then one sprite on top for his face. Wow. I mean, there's all kind. Of, I mean, I am like a, a useless Font of wealth trivia. of information <laughs> of, of knowledge of how a Nintendo rendered. Well, that's why Pixel Vision 8 sounds perfect for you because you have all this knowledge. It seems like, why do I have all this useless info in well, my well, brain, but you're bringing it all together? Well, I have it because I have it because I was building this. Like, it's a, uh, I, I was like, do I really learn assembly and make a real Nintendo game or do I make something that other people can use? <laughs> um, something so. about the Pixel art that I thought of a couple times as we were talking were the Mark Ferrari cycling color palette. Yeah, I, I have. I'm not kidding. I have color cycle in, yep. in here in my show notes. We haven't even talked about it, but yes, beautiful. It's, uh, yeah, like that's the stuff that I think that's not in any of the um, in any of the fantasy consoles I've seen. Yep, and it's something that I really am striving for. But you look at uh, that right, and you're like, "This is amazing artwork that takes a huge amount of skill." Yeah, mind blowing. It's yeah. uh, right. I mean, I think it, like early on, Pedro and I were working on. I was trying to have him redo artwork for a game I wanted to release. And uh, we were talking about like getting it to be more ne- like authentic to a Nintendo. And I was talking about like the coastlines and doing like um, eight sided, uh, you know, uh, auto tiling. Mm, right. Nice. And he was just like, I was like, I was doing it all by hand. And then he goes, well, why don't we just palette shift it and like do the color shifting? I'm like, you can do that. And he's like, yeah. And I'm <laughs> That's like, a thing fucking yes okay <laughs> give me two years <laughs> yeah yeah uh so we, we uh joe huckabee we've actually had on the show before i'll put a link to his uh in there as well but he took those mark uh is it ferrari he, he took those and uh basically implemented them in canvas this was years ago at this point but boy do they hold up boy do they look beautiful and it just withstands the test of time like you can you can always go back and look at those and just be really impressed by like the artistry of it, but also the technical prowess. It takes just yeah. blows my mind to think about how it, what you'd have to do to have this you know indexed palette that makes it look as it as it as it shifts around, make it look like a flowing waterfall, and it, and it's like in various spots within too. It's not just this one isolated area. It's like also the rain coming down and stuff. Just the the marriage of art and and tech skills coming together mind blowing it's gorgeous yeah it's uh like i said i think the i think the hallmark for me will be like if i can get to the point where i can write a tutorial where it's just like all right let's take apart how you know super mario brothers 3 splash screen works and you, you can you, do you it. have to do that now you can't and, keep teasing me oh i'm going to I, I i went back and i played i played the original zelda and sort of recorded it and recorded the whole thing um because I was looking at those, like I, I, I envision when I have time to build a website, <laughs> this idea of like the tutorials are literally like animated, you know, gifs of a particular technique that was used on the original Nintendo or the Game Boy or the Master System, and showing you how to do it. It doesn't be like it doesn't have to be the full game. It's just this idea of like right, like man, just everything in like Link, like just when someone when a sprite gets hit and it flashes that it's been hurt, it's not another sprite. It's that sprite just changing the colors. Yeah. There, there's a million little tidbits, there's these nuggets of excellent knowledge from those games that are 20, 30 years old at this point. There was something, like, I, I can't tell you how many 
probably hundreds of hours I spent playing the original Legend of Zelda, right? And there was something I never really noticed. Like the game plays really well, but it wasn't until Jeff and I were working on a Wizard's Lizard that Jeff pointed out, you know, you're kind of on rails when you walk around as Link. If there's a tile here and you're walking here as Link, you never hit the situation where you're just like the frustrating thing in games where you're, oh, bu- you're button up like two pixels. You're like, why can't I walk past this block? Because it pushes you gently down and it, it wants you to be on these like these rails. It, it guides your walking. And now, and now I'm forgetting his name. There was a, there was a guy who wrote a post about it. Um, I have to look it up. Um, yeah, what's his name? I know he's in Austin. I bet Jeff linked me that um, for well, a ago. Yeah, he he wrote a really great post about that, right? Like, Troy Gilbert, yeah. I think. Yeah, Troy. Troy, Troy Gilbert. Troy Gilbert. Right. Thank you. Sorry, Troy. Um, it's <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, the, you there'll know, be a games, link to that in the show notes. Those games are like really clunky in today's standards, right? But when you go back and just understand the limitations that they had, they are really works of art. They really are. Like, and and you know, while we're getting to this, the point where like. You know, Adam Saltzman can have Cannonball in, you know, the Met, right? And, like, they're starting to acknowledge, like, games or art, right? Um, The actual art of it is not highlighted. Like, you don't go into a museum or, like, the modern, you know, modern museum of art, the MoMA or whatever, and, like, see pixel art on the wall. Yeah. Right? Or uh, Pedro had a really funny tweet the other day where he, like, had some, like, it was, like, crook, crook, Croquet or yeah. croquette or whatever, or yeah. not croquette. Croquette is like a Spanish food, whereas croquet <laughs> is like stitching. Whatever yeah. the stitching is, you know. Like, <laughs> uh, but that notion is like, I love seeing pixel art that was created before computers. Like, in that notion of like going all the way back to like, you know, uh, my wife is Italian, so it's like going back to her, her people who made like mosaics on the floor. It's like yeah. that stuff was all, you know, the precursor to what we do now, and. You know, you you acknowledge that as art, but you know nobody really acknowledges how beautiful the original pixel art is on the Nintendo. And you know, just like they want everything for free, they don't appreciate how much work and effort went into that. Kids these days, man. Yeah, man. These these millennials <laughs> ruin everything. <laughs> no, it is true. Like, and I'm always mind blown by how good the games were back then how deep they were how they did all these tiny little things you don't even notice just because the game takes care of it for you it guides you with its design and stuff and they did all that without a handbook without you know books written without college courses without even examples yep to guide them without like oh just go look at you know go look at super metroid to see how that's done they had nothing and they still knocked it out of the park so well that decades later we continue to talk about it and we're doing a shittier job today yep. we try to end like we we make a game oh it's inspired by zelda but it's way worse you know even though we have these games to look at as examples right. we we make these poor emulations of them well it's it's you know it's uh I, I didn't really think about it until I started playing Breath of the Wild. And I, I can already see your smirk on your face. Hey, you, hey. You're ready to rip it apart. <laughs> because there's it's something, just what I do. There's something wrong I'm with play, you. I played it again you, last night. I had a good time. I got past the part I was stuck in. I recognize it's a good game, but I will I will oh, complain about my favorite games. I okay, really will. So we've been moving towards <laughs> this like world of procedural generation. Yep. Because the problem we have is that games need to be bigger. Bigger, 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 better, but more it's features. so hard to craft a world, right? Yeah. And we're just like, oh, let's procedurally generate it. And, and No Man's Sky got so much fucking shit for this, even though I think it's like one of my top games. But there's something wrong with me, um, of course. But like that idea of like, 
it wasn't until I played Breath of the Wild to be like, this world was handcrafted. There isn't a place that I don't go to that wasn't put there on purpose and that I can't look at a ledge and be like, I can climb that or get to that or do that. And that is really what's missing in games today is the handcraft. It's the it's it's like the hand of God that went through and made every single atom exactly how it's supposed to be is completely missing from a lot of games today. That's why Skyrim to me feels like so soulless. Like I just want to play that game and I want to like the concept of it. And I know that when it's re-released for the Switch and I go back to play it again, it's going to feel like this clunky thing versus Breath of the Wild, which was meticulously handcrafted to be just fun to walk around. Like, I don't even care about the game. I just, I'm literally just walking around yeah. collecting flowers, which I never do in fucking games. <laughs> but let's just be clear. Like, don't collect flowers in games. I'm collecting flowers and I'm cooking. Skyrim did hit me in the right place there. I did go collect butterflies for way too long. Yeah, but like I was always making fun of people for that. Yeah, it does, though. It has that problem where it does feel like, oh, they probably hired hundreds of people and outsourced the design of this humongous map, right? It does kind of feel like that, right? Because it doesn't feel like this this nice, cohesive thing that comes together. It does feel like these kind of like separate areas. And like, what's the even point of going over to this area? Yeah, it's it's so... it's There's, there's something that's so clunky about that game, and it's, it's so subtle... Um, it was a, a long time ago I was writing these like little posts that just sort of talked about like game mechanics and I never really stuck with it um, but it was I, I, you know I, it was a uh, the thing that always that always stuck out in my mind about Skyrim was the idea of like you killed a fox and then you collected stuff out of the fox as if it was a treasure chest great yep and like it was that disconnect between like I could accept that in Breath of the Wild I kill a fox and it drops a stake but in Skyrim, when I open up a treasure chest inside of an animal, and then like I got to the point where I was like, I killed a dragon in a town. I got too much shit on me. I'm going to stuff some shit in this dragon. <laughs> yeah, and then I'll come back later and get it out of its carcass. And everything to me was a template. Yeah. It wasn't, a, it wasn't an experience. And yeah. that's where Breath of the Wild like, completely breaks it because that's the most Nintendo game I've played in years. And I love... I love Shovel Knight. Like I, I bought it on every platform. Wow. I didn't even think again about rebuying it on the Switch. I'm just like, yeah, fuck. I mean, I haven't even closed Zelda. I mean, I have a bunch of games. I haven't even closed Zelda yet, but it's just so damn. I don't good. know how you find time for all this. You actually play games. Oh, I travel a lot. Okay, there yeah, you fill in the gaps. That's why the okay. Switch is like. There it is. The Switch, the Switch is, like, is perfect for that. Yeah, right? it's perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's just the. I also don't sleep. The um, that helps. It's the. Yeah, it's a, it's that notion like that the Breath of the Wild is so it's that's what I miss about Nintendo games. Like Nintendo games like the good ones because there are so many shitty ones. The good ones are so well crafted, so meticulous. Every pixel is where it needs to be. Every platform is just out of reach to make you a little frustrated but to push you further. Yep. And there's no fucking thing telling you Mega, Mega Man, Man, Mega Man. Man. <laughs> We we say that all the time. Just it's, the other day, I posted that Mega Man sequel artist on on Game Dev Treasure because I think that everybody should watch it if you make games. It's uh, I mean, I think I, I guess I guess my my oldest son's uh, his like favorite game is uh, Sonic Generations, and like every now and then I'll just like poke into my office while he's playing it, and I can't like there's like a little thing that like jump jump like telling him what to do, and he's like, can I turn that off? I go no because it's bad design. 
Pretty much. The game thinks you're stupid, son. Yeah. That's what but, it is. But he did... Um, I have been trying to teach him the way. The way. And I... Uh, in order to in order for us to bond, I bought uh, the Sonic Mega Man comics, which are like really weird. It's like, <laughs> yeah, whatever. It's just it's really weird. So Capcom and Sega together? Yeah, yeah. They, well, they made it where like it's like Mega Man and Sonic's worlds get mixed together. That's cool, so cool, Doctor yeah. Wily, and it sounds a lot cooler than it really is. <laughs> uh, Most but things he's he's are, seven, so yeah. it's the greatest fucking thing ever. Um, and so he he was like. He's sort of getting interested in Mega Man. So I'm trying to get him away from the dark and into the light. And uh, we were at a friend's house and they have a NES Classic. And uh, even though I have all the games in my closet, but because it was accessible, he was telling me, he's like, Dad, I went and I tried Mega Man 2. And I go, yeah? And he goes, I died immediately. And I go, yes, that's a game, son. (laughs) That's what a game is. Sometimes it happens. I go, and you will continue to die until you get good. (laughs) <laughs> Mega Man 2 is a good one there that was the only uh, Mega Man game I can go back and beat Mega Man 1 I am I'm hopeless Mega, Mega Man, Man 3, 1 is really hard really hard it's like it's they didn't there's something with the timing they didn't they didn't get it Mega Man 2 is my favorite game hands down ever made wow it is your number one it is my that's number major. one game because it is just perfect that's my favorite Mega Man for what it's worth it is it is my favorite Mega Man and it is also just a perfect game because it gives you the illusion of choice. You can, you, you know, you're not, you're not, you're not stuck in this world of where you have to linearly progress through the story. You can, you can actually go out of order or whatever, and yep. you know, there's all different strategies. So there's a whole, there's that meta layer, right? That's fun. But the artwork is great. The platforms, it's just, just enough challenge. So tight. All the Mega Man games from that the, era are just so tight. The bad guys weren't like such a joke at the point where it's like Toaster Man. And like, you know, well, they're out of ideas. Yeah. Where there's like, <laughs> just shit, just throw a man in front of it. And you know, it's, it's there. Um, Desk man, bookshelf but, man. But even the notion of like the concept of getting the power of another robot to defeat the opposite robot and the level design is brilliant. The way that it flows, the, the moving from one scene to another scene, the music, the music, can we, can we talk about the music? It's so, so good. You know, having built Pixel Vision 8 and now really getting deep into like rendering techniques and understanding where the Ness's limitations are, like what they did to get around those limitations is just brilliant. And like the more you know about it, the more you appreciate like, how hard it was to make. Right? It kind of yeah. makes you feel like a bad programmer, doesn't it? You're oh. like, <laughs> if how? you had those problems, you would have broken down like a child and, and wept. <laughs> right. Well, it's too hard. It's too hard. <laughs> So yeah, so that's like that's that's easily like my top my top game. Interesting. You know, we should ask everybody who comes on the show, what's your top game? That's a, that's a you, good question. It's very you're a little late. Aren't you like two hundred and something episodes in now? <laughs> no, <laughs> we're right on time. You Thank you very a, much. You can send out like an email. <laughs> Dear, okay, yeah. <laughs> Just don't don't blind carbon copy anyone. Make sure there's like a whole like <laughs> there was. Nah, I can't even tell that story. Oh. X X rated. Uh, dear everyone who's ever been on the show, please go back and tell us. If you've worked at a large company and then had like ah, a, that, yeah. one of those like an email tidal wave where one like it's a oh, all company so email and then some schmuck you know responds all and then for the next like three days it's, it's like can you please stop responding all? It's the, that's the most respond- futile thing you can do in this world. It, it's yeah. So there's no hope at that point. I've seen it at literally an entire company level of a company that had like a hundred, some odd down. thousand. And employees. that poor person who hit send 
gets for three, five days. Just like every time the yeah. message, they're like, oh, I'm so sorry, everyone. I've let yeah. the world down. It's like the, uh, reopening the wound every day. Every day. And it's like you're reminded, <laughs> like, dude, you put the wrong text in the wrong box. That's your. That's all your That's yeah. all your crime is, but you still deserve to pay the ultimate penalty for that. Just, we hate you through email now. So... We're off in the weeds as yeah, a tangent. It's fine. It's, it's all, you know, the, the thing is, like like I said, like Pixel Vision 8 is is my midlife crisis manifest in the sense that, you know, I, I, I was actually thinking about it when I was stuck in traffic coming here. Um, I had a lot of time to think. Existential thoughts in traffic. Yeah. That's oh, good like, tumbling. just don't kill the person in front of me. Um, <laughs> it, it's like... You know, I think it was before I left, I saw there was, I, I think I tweeted it, where it was, it was like these graphics that represented like each era of games, like the generations of games and sort of like what that meant. And I can go back and I can look at every game that I played and tell you like where I was, what I've done. Like games are so embedded in like my soul yep. and like the core of who I am. Um, and like my wife who's not a gamer, like just doesn't understand it. And it's it's a you know it's no different than if you're a music person and you have these songs that you listen to and you know where you were at that moment or when you have a smell like triggers I, the same parts in your memory right yeah it's like Pixel Vision Eight for me was like I bottled up my childhood and just put it into a thing that you can use in order to so you can share in my childhood. That's a damn cool midlife crisis though. Yeah, thanks. I, I'm trying really hard. I'm not even at my midlife yet, I guess. I don't know how would I really I know. I hope not. <laughs> I hope you're far away from that. Um, but it's, uh, you know, we're talking about game collecting, to go back on another tangent, like I, I just picked up like the, 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 the highest of my collection is a, the Marathon Trilogy box set, which I don't know if you guys know Marathon. but The, from the, the Nintendo one? No, uh, Marathon. Not the, not the championship Nintendo stuff. No, no, no. This that is stuff's a, Marathon crazy. was a, a first-person shooter made by a little company called Bungie. You may have heard of them. <laughs> Maybe. Um, and when all the Windows people were playing Doom, us Mac people mm. had Marathon. And we could actually look up and down. And oh. we had a story. And we had this, this incredible world. But one of the things I remember so in, important about Marathon, especially to me, was that you can customize it. Like it had a separate uh, artwork file. It has separate music file. It has a separate map file. And Doom, you had to sort of like mod it with wads and it was like sort of like a pain in the ass. Yeah. Marathon was literally designed in a very Mac-centric way. Just modify the sprites and drop your own sprites into the game folder and it mm. opens up. When you run Marathon again, you have new sprites. Nice. And I spent so long building levels for it and the stuff and the box set collected the best of the community stuff so literally my childhood is in this thing it's like a time capsule wow of um of the this old artwork that i used to make uh and these levels and i haven't opened it yet um but it, it, it's experience like i want to be able to have that experience with my kids um i did i did go a little far and i did buy a g4 cube to go with it because i wanted <laughs> like the perfect experience you gotta splurge a little bit once well, in a while. yeah, you know this. <laughs> that's that's. <laughs> I like I like your own, your unopened uh, mentality. You have a, a unopened copy of Dragonware, yeah, the original Dragonware. I'm very impressed by that. I um I actually have two copies of Dragonware. I have one I play and one that's unopened. There you go. I have um, 
I uh, I have at least one unopened game from every console I've collected. Wow. With the exception of the Neo Geo, because that is fucking expensive. The Neo Geo games were like two or three hundred bucks a pop, right? Yeah, they, they're still about like two hundred. Yeah, I remember you could only find those electronics boutique, and every time I go there, I would just like I couldn't do anything but just stare, up, like gaping mouth, like what? The, the, I, how does anyone afford this? The Neo Geo I, I can't even afford Fantasy Star Four. It's a very awesome system, especially from like a mechanical standpoint. Knowing that it didn't use a tile map like the other ones did, everything was a fucking sprite. Wow! Like it just like everything's a sprite. I was always impressed by how if you got the card games, you could go to an actual yes. arcade console and you know continue your game of I don't even know what you'd play anymore, like World Fighters or whatever it was. But like <laughs> you could take the cart, you know, to your home console and then also to the arcade in public, and you'd be like the coolest, you know, nerd, right? Like biggest dork kid, but also like look at this man, put it in there, I keep my game going, and now I, I got to pay a quarter to do it. <laughs> I have but a it card. Awesome. It was it's cool. It's, it was actually cool about that system too, which is like we're on such a tangent now. Um, was that I actually have an arcade. I have Metal Slug Three as the arcade game, mm. and it's a much bigger cartridge. With I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen a Neo Geo cartridge, but they're like they're comically large. My four year old seen a cartridge. I had my four year old hold one, and it's almost like him holding like a Betamax tape. It's like almost <laughs> as big as him. Uh, but the arcade ones were even larger. But you can get an adapter from the arcade to the Neo Geo home console because it's literally the same game. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, like so so right so so back to the the thing I was saying like right all this is important to me like this is like it matters to you when when my kids go to college and they're like dad we don't have any money to go to college and I'm like but you have the best fucking game collection of anybody you know <laughs> they will understand yeah um and it's a you know, that's it. That's what I tried to strive for. If I can actually, like, try to bring this back to why we're here. Distill it down. Oh, I think that's great. Because sometimes, you know, oh, why'd you make Pixel Vision 8? It's like, sounded cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's, which is fine. I, I've built plenty of things like that because it sounds cool. I wanted You've to haggle. you also got, like, a deeper story. I wanted to haggle with people over $10. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. I want to argue with strangers over the internet. Yes. I want to be called an asshole for charging for, for it. <laughs> oh, that's that's perfect. It was I don't know. It's I, I want I want people to be able to enjoy that. And the, the 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 reality though is that no one will ever have the same experience as you nope. with it. Um there was a really great article about a father who who gave his kids video games but in the order that they were released. Uh, mm. so like you started with like an Atari and then like moved up. Interesting. I wish I had done that. I was I was a more liberal dad in the fact that I was like what here's, do you want to play today? Here's an it's iPhone. <laughs> yeah. Um, but let's start with virtual reality and go down from there. Right. <laughs> so, but yeah, I think that, you know, it's, you, it's what you, you get an appreciation it. for it when you come at it from that direction, right? Like you can see the progression and it kind of gives you like a nice perspective on the history. When you start with Pong, which is a strong place to start, the game holds up. You play it with a friend, you're well, going to. Like you're gonna get into it, and, and that's that's it's the um, it's those games, the Nintendo games, while are at times obtuse compared to what we're used to. Again, they're meticulous in how they work, and they work very well. And it's a complete system. It's a it's a game that's designed through limitation to overcome its limitation, and. Uh, I, I of course it was I don't, I don't have my phone on. I, I had it some tagline 
for for Pixel Vision Eight that was like more than just like build retro games with modern you know workflows. It was like it's like each game that you build with Pixel Vision Eight is really like a testament to your creativity. It's about the game idea is the game, right? Um, but it's how do you build the game not only around your own limitations as an individual, but around the limitations of the hardware and getting it to the point where the two are in sync. Like that the hardware limitation defines the gameplay in a way that doesn't take away from it. Hmm. I dig that. And it's, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's a challenge that we don't struggle with enough today because you sort of have any resource at your disposal. Like it's a little overwhelming. And I think a lot of indies especially can get lost in that pool of you can make any damn thing in unity. Yeah. And so you're like, well, then I'll make some garbage. You know, yeah. there's, there's almost not enough to guide you. It's a little too open-ended. Right. Too much freedom. Somehow. It's interesting yeah. too to look at this from sort of like a game marketing perspective. Cause I think Jesse, I mean, you've done such a great job of communicating your passion for this project. Like I want to go out and try it like right now. Um, ten dollars. You've got one customer. <laughs> ten bucks, Jeff. And $10. Jesse does not want to argue about it. Fuck you, pay me. <laughs> I, w- I was gonna buy it, but you know, if it was under ten dollars, I might. Yeah. But it's a little steep. Let's be honest. Jeez. <laughs> All it does is make video games. I'm just gonna post pictures of my kids starving. <laughs> <laughs> make sure that they're nice and emaciated. Yeah. Like, don't feed them for a few months. <laughs> make sure they're crying at the time. Uh, but. I'm glad my passion has come through. Um, I, hopefully, at one point, the the I mean, you can make games with it now, and I've seen some people do some really great stuff, and people have also been porting over Pico stuff, and 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 I actually, um, I talked to the creator of Pico. I'd asked him if it was cool if I made like a, a Pico Eight console. So like, I have a template that's, oh, that's that has Pico 8's limitations. It's just like it's the same screen resolution, it's the same colors, and he was like down with it. And I think I think that's the other part of it, right? Like. I want to see a world where you have, you know, the Saint Eleven console, or like, you know, you just define what the specs oh, are. So you have yeah. an entire game jam around. I designed a game console, build a game for it, and here are the limitations. It has two colors and three sprites, and you're screwed. Good luck. <laughs> and you're screwed. Right. There is that one game jam. Uh, it's the one bit clicker. There's an there's one where it's like you're re, you're restricted to 64 by 64 or what is that? Oh yeah, yeah, I've seen low that res one. game jam. Yeah, low yeah. res. Low, low res there's game also jam. I mean there's also the game. Uh, there's like a Jolt. four color Game Boy Jam. Not yeah, that the Game Boy Jam. And I was like, oh, that'd be really cool. Except here, excuse me, you have the uh, here you have the real limitations of yeah. I mean, of a Game Boy. I think in every time you're having a competition, like it's always better to have hard limitations, right? Like use this thing. And it has these particular properties and like you just have to get around them, right? Versus something yep. where it's, you know, easier to cheat or easy to unintentionally cheat because you're right. using Unity or something. Right. And clearly I am the master of scope creep. I have clearly. lots of... I, 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 you're a true game dev. <laughs> yeah, like I don't, I don't want it to end. Like I'm having a lot of fun with it. It's mm. probably the most rewarding project I've ever made because it's... The potential for what can come out of it is so much greater than any game i'll ever make yeah it comes from a place of passion yep you can you can you can feel your love coming out you're like i'm really into this i want to keep working on it it's my baby i'm the number one i'm the chief evangelist (laughs) the biggest fan fan. right is like you have to be that to to stand out with a product like it could be 
this, you know, it could be a game, it could be whatever, but you know, if you're not the one crowing from the rooftops about it, no one else is. Yeah. Yep. And I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping it'll get to the point. Definitely by the end of the year, it'll, it'll be there where it stands on its own in the sense of like, I don't need to crow from the rooftops that, you know, it, I think the, the biggest challenge right now is how do you, if you're going to build a fantasy game console, how do you differentiate yourself from like Pico 8, right? Which is like the de facto one. And it's a, I, as much as I, I, I don't want to live in the shadow of that and I want to come from it at a different place so that it's a different thing. Um, it's, it's the notion of like, like how do we just get, how do we make the concept of a fantasy console a like a bigger thing? Like how do how do other people get inspired to build this? Because the next round of fantasy consoles are going to move up to sixteen bit or PlayStation, and like you know how do you get how do you get these um, the, the the concept isn't just about building the game, but it's about what the game ran on, and that's that's really the platform, and you you know bring to it what you can based on those limitations, hmm. uh, and you know there's so many really interesting fantasy game consoles that are coming out now. Right, like it, it will. I guess it has the potential to be a crowded, uh, you know, market space. But it's a, uh, you know, I, I just want Pixel Vision Eight to be its its own unique world. Yeah. Right. Gosh, I hope it doesn't get as crowded as you know, like the indie game situation. Right. Like tripping over, like, oh man, every other day there's a brand new fantasy console on Steam. Like, what's the deal? And that was like, you know, it's, when I when I used to do talks about like HTML5 building games with HTML5, I'm like. You know, the joke goes that there are more HTML5 game frameworks than there are HTML5 game developers. Right. <laughs> that was probably true for a while. Right, like, and I, I, I didn't, I, for a long time, I didn't want to build a game engine. I was like, pushing, you know, Richard to do his thing because it's like, I really loved Impact. I loved how simple Impact was. And my only criticism of Impact.js was that it never reached its potential. It just sort of became a time capsule in and of itself, right? Mm. And... It, it became the definition of everything I didn't like because there wasn't, uh, there wasn't room to go. Hmm. Once like it worked, it, it, it allowed you to make games very quickly. I love the built-in tile map editor and I love the concept of it and how it got out of your way, but it never really evolved. Right. And Richard's is the opposite. And I joked with him. I mean, I haven't actually talked to Richard in a long time. So if he's listening to this and thinks I'm a schmuck. He does listen. Oh, he does. And he well, does hi, think Richard. you're. A schmuck. I should actually. Well, he knows I'm a schmuck. <laughs> no. actually, I, 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 we were talking for like a long time, like all the time, and then I just sort of, you know, went another way. And you know, I only have I only have one hour a day that I have to that I get to do this stuff. But uh, you know, Richards is like the kitchen sink. I was like joking. I'm like, you made the flex of game frameworks, man. It's like it has that, like two physics engines. Like, what do you want? You get a physics engine. You, you get, get a get physics a- engine. You get a physics. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and it's cool, and like you could do some really great stuff with it, but you know, at the same time, it was the opposite of where I wanted to go. Right. So, you know, it's the how do you build the most with the bare minimum, but then build on top of it when you need to. Right. Delicate I think it's like anything else. Just like yeah. your life. Yeah. There was a recent post. Do you follow uh, Jeff Fogel, Spiderweb Software? Jeff and I talk about him a lot. I think so. Um, he's <laughs> he's like the, the the grizzled old game developer. Is that the right? cr- yeah the cranky old? Get off yeah. my lawn, game developer. And, yeah, but like such such great information on his blog. And um, where was I going with that? Oh, he was he made an analogy recently where he was talking about how like 
game dev and indie game dev especially is the new we're gonna start a band right yeah because it was like oh, i've got all this energy and i got these friends to get together with and we love making stuff and like yeah i've known just countless like m- most of my friends probably when i was growing up were in a band of, of some kind or another and it's like that's not always to say that something's gonna come out of that and it's like it's not to say that it's gonna go anywhere either because these days like music's been around how much longer than video games like how many <laughs> music's been around since the dawn of time exactly like, exactly and but we still have tools there's there's reason cubase pro tools family trackers you mentioned earlier fruity loops like they're countless. musical instruments <laughs> exactly yeah there's there's so many different ways to to make music and there's always going to be some new software coming out and there's always going to be room for it is the thing that's, that's true too it's the uh you know the, the thing is i, I say this to to my oldest because he gets it more than my youngest because my youngest is four and he just he just he's just happy to exist. what a small brain <laughs> <laughs> well every day to him is the greatest day he literally uh, is like it's the greatest day ever and i go yes because you've only been here for a certain number you haven't of been time. broken by the world you haven't, yet. you haven't tried to make a game yet son <laughs> um, <laughs> but like That's it. you know I, I it's it's uh I, I talk to my oldest and whether this is a great whether i should even publicly say this or not like I come from this belief like there are two types of people in this world. There are consumers and there are creators. As an artist, I value highly creating. I think that the most important thing you could do is create. It doesn't have to be the Mona Lisa. It doesn't have to be, you know, pick any amazing thing, right? Yeah. Um, I was trying to think of a music analogy, but I don't. It doesn't have to be Stay like right Team heaven. Spirit. Teen Spirit, okay. <laughs> right? I would have gone, gone Stairway, but okay. No, I, right. <laughs> I'm kind of feeling the teen spirit, though. I like. Does it doesn't have to be juicy? Like I'm just saying, like, (laughs) just create. Right. Don't be a consumer. Yeah. Don't be passive. Be active. Right. Yes. And and I try to like instill that in my son that, you know, he he was playing Mario Maker, and, God, the levels he made were so bad. In the best way humanly possible that any seven-year-old could ever make a Mario level. Some of them were just to fucking you run straight and get to the goal. Brilliant. And ship it. Watching him experiment through in the course of like three weeks. Like, I don't know how much room it gives you to build levels, but I think it's like five per level. It's like a five by, you know, five grid or something. Mm -hmm. He filled every fucking one of those boxes up within level and they got better. But it was that he was building it for himself. And it was that that notion of like, he just wanted to see what was happening. Like what happens when you just run to the goal? Is it fun? No, it's not. I'll make another level. It never occurred to him to go back and refine it. He just was in that moment. And if we, I think if we live in that a little bit more, like living in that moment of just, just create. Yeah. Like don't harp on perfection. Just. Yes. Don't worry do about and, failure as much. Right? And, like, and that's be, what be I always loose. loved about. Yeah one game a month was fuck man the games that i did for one game a month were like varying levels of just shitty but i came in third place because i did it right doing it showing up sometimes is plenty yes was it 90 percent of success is showing up on time or just showing up at all well you know in you know in in the uh the millennial generation that we have now where everyone gets a ribbon Everyone gets an award. Participation, yeah. For participation. Yeah. You know, just showing up and doing it is, you know, don't be afraid of just doing shit. Like, just making something. Yeah. There's this great um, uh, Jake Clark comic. I'll put a link in the show notes, which is, it basically boils down to this kid's playing um, a musical instrument, like a trumpet or something. This guy goes, boy, you really suck. 
which is what we all fear, right? right. That's the reason that we don't post our drawings or, 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 or upload our games to Itch or Steam or something. It's the reason we don't audition, right? It's, it's the reason we don't do anything creative is because we're worried that someone's going to be like, <laughs> you're bad, right? Then the kid goes, uh, you don't even suck. You're nothing. Right. And that's yeah. the real fear to me, right? Because people, like their fears a lot of times are like uh, the fear of being forgotten or the fear of not making an impact in the world. Well, you're sure as shit not going to do it if you don't show up and if you don't try. Right. Right. Like try to make something and and, and learn and, and progress, you know, like it's, it is really important. It's the best way to learn is by doing, yep. making something. Oh, Get yeah. your hands dirty. A lot of really crappy games. I'll probably continue to make really crappy games till the end of my time because it's. I don't know any other thing to do with my free time. I like, think it, it's great that you're instilling this in your kids too, because I mean, like, I think this is the exact the kind of thing that's going to make you know people better human beings, right? Like when you failed a whole bunch, and when you've experimented you have more empathy towards other people and you won't be as trolly about like, Oh, you're terrible at the trumpet or whatever. Yeah. 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 Somebody who, somebody who, you know, you know, financial situation aside, who has trouble, you know, understanding why something costs $10 hasn't created something like that or hasn't gone through the struggle. And, you know, again, like I, I, I grew up, with not a lot of stuff. I grew up with people who were even poorer uh, than dirt. And I have a very good sense of what money costs. I understand that value. Uh, you know, so it's never to take away from that, but it's the notion of like the people that just want and want and want are consumers, right? Yep. Um, and I have no problem giving someone something for free that they're going to use to build something better and make themselves better, yeah. right? It's just, it's a, you know, it's just go and make something. Like I would happily give a free copy of the game engine to someone who said, "Hey, I made this in Pico, and I really want to see how it works here, but I don't have ten dollars." And then I'd be like, "Well, you paid fifteen dollars for Pico, but <laughs> so I got then you I'd there. Say, but it's get really a, get cool a refund from Lexalawful and then come back to me. <laughs> yeah. You can you can <laughs> pocket the five bucks. We just won't talk about that. No, I mean it's, it's <laughs> right. It's like it's like if you're going to ask for stuff, show that you're going to you know, right, do something with it, right." Like, like bring yeah. something to the table, right? If it's not yeah. money, then it has to be passion or something. You know, it, okay. I, I've been, um, I've been very lucky too with, with a lot of the help that I've gotten in the community, um, by, by Sean and Matt who've helped find bugs and, 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 you know, help me fix stuff and give me direction in the game engine. But also a lot of artists are coming out and are building art packs. And I'm like, good, I'll pay you money for the art pack or I'll give you a cut. You know, when I figure out how to sell these things, they're like, no, no, we just want to contribute. And it's, 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 that's cool too. Like a you know building a community and being part of something larger, for sure. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm like, there's something like really inherently like I can't figure out how to price this thing. Like I, I keep and I keep bringing it up because it, I struggle. Like the struggle is real. The struggle is still there, even though it's out and you've got the like you are charging for it, right? Like yeah, yeah. The I, it's, seller's remorse is that a thing? No, I, have, not, I get that a lot. It's not seller. Like again, when when you create something. Right. And like you, you look for ways to your point, like how do you validate yourself as someone who creates? Right. And the easiest way that we can do that is by saying this costs X. Mm-hmm. If somebody's willing to pay X, they validate that my work is good. But that's not really it. Like my validation is when somebody wants to build artwork for it or somebody builds a game in it. But, you know, again, it's a struggle. It's like, I want everyone to have that love and that passion, and I don't want price to be a barrier of entry. Yeah, I hear you. 
but I don't know. I'll struggle with this to the day I die. I, I remember that, uh, like the, the word professional coming up when, when you're first starting to get into something like when I, you know, cause I was a web developer for a long time and then the, the switch over to game developer, right? Uh, a lot of times the word professional will come there like, oh, I'm a hobbyist game dev or whatever. And then the moment you make your first dollar, right? That's that's the hard limit sometimes people put on whatever it is that you do. Like, oh, I'm an artist. Oh, really? Like, do you do commissions or have you, have you ever made a dollar from your art? And it's like, well, no, like I've been making art for years and it's been in galleries or something, like, but you never actually made any money. Like a lot of times it's like, like I remember the first time we ever made any money was with Onslaught Arena. And we saw like, well, it launched on the Chrome web store. And before it even did, like we would see like purchases. People like it. It did. That was the only word I can think of was really validating. Yeah. Right. And you're so thankful, and you're like, I've been working so hard on this, and it's like somebody was like, "This looks cool. I have money. Let's do this." You know. And it's 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 so easy for somebody to write a shitty review. It's so easy for someone to say this is shit. Yep. This is bad. It's so much harder for someone to dig into their pocket and give you money because they made that money themselves. Right. Right. Yeah. Like that's like. It's and so it's it's just it's an awful part of our culture, in the sense of that we validate someone else's desire for something based on money, right? right? And it's it's you know without getting like so fucking off tangent, it's such a systemic issue in everything we do, right? Sometimes it's like you know that person is giving you money that they spent hours at a place they hate earning, yeah. Right? Yeah, it's hate money. It's hate yeah. money. This is my corporate slavery money. <laughs> like I, I remember like my first job, I was I started at minimum wage, you know, like working like a menial retail job. And and at that point you do, you start to think about like, man, like lunch cost me ten bucks. And you're like, that was two hours of mopping up baby vomit and stacking boxes into a truck. You know, it changes, like we talked before, money's always different, different people, different times in your life and all that. But you do, you think about that sometimes. And like, you know, then your, your money really does equate to like your time, right? Yep. Like, oh, I've got to go work some overtime to, to pay for that or whatever it is. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know why I still struggle with this because uh-huh. I really, I don't want it to be, I, like, I, it's not a, you know, once you attach money to it, it becomes a business, right? Yeah. And it's like the biggest thing I fear about, like, if I ever made games full time for a living, it's like, like worst analogy, but you know. It's it's like uh, when you, you know, it's just that that corporate, you know, the, 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 what is well, it when you become like sanitized to what you do, like uh, you know, de- de- desensitized, desensitized yeah. to it. It yeah. changes right? everything, right? Like we noticed that, you know, being longtime hobbyist developers and then you know dipping our toes into, you know, doing it as a business, like it changes your incentives, it changes your motivations, it changes the way you think about your creative output, you know, like it drastically just changes the whole way that you approach the thing that you love to do. And sometimes for the worse, I think. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I like it now where I'm at the point where it's the end of my work day, the kids are in bed and I have my hour and I'm like, well, tonight's hour. I really want to make the renderer the best it can be. I want to get this closer to a Nintendo. I want this to be easier than building for a Nintendo. I don't want this to make another dollar, but I want to be able to hire great people like Krister and Pedro and be like, look, can you help me with the stuff that you guys are amazing with? Because I value your time. I value your skills. I value you as a person. And I'll give you the money that I've earned to show my validation. That's one of the only ways you, you, words are easy, right? You can say, Hey, I, I validate you. You, you, I have, I have, I have validated you. You have been validated, yes. right? Like it, it's one of the things we have is this currency, right? This, this, 
money. That yep. just happens to be the way our society is built. And it is like the one true way you can be like, boom, I, I put money down on that. I put time down on that. You know, like the real resources we have. It is That is the true validation that we have. So, yep. That's why it's so hard. That's why, yeah, six months from now, you'll still be like, ah, oh, I don't know. Should I be charging? No, I think I think the, the next the next steps for me is I really want to experiment with Patreon. I want to get it to the point where, like, you know, it's it's that it's building a community and the people that want to be part of the community. You know, I don't know. It's it, there's got to be a better way of there's got to be a better way of being giving access to people without asking for their money. But we don't, you know, trade shells anymore. Basic income. Here we go tangent yeah. time <laughs> so <laughs> i do wish there was some kind of a time thing where like because you know a really viable thing for us would be somebody going and writing a, a forum post on a community they're part of and like hey here's a game i played i think it's really great it's by ldg or like here's my favorite podcast and they post about it on reddit or something but it's like you feel almost kind of scummy just like you would asking for for five or ten bucks you feel kind of scummy being like hey will you go and tell somebody else about this it's such a weird faux pas i i, I don't know i think you know it's tough. It's 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 so hard to, you know, again because I'm in the luxury of where this is a hobby. Right. It's not my full-time job. I'm not I don't It won't make or break you. Yeah, I don't live or die. If nobody bought it, I'll just move on to the next shitty project, right? Like <laughs> next awesome project. <laughs> next big dumb but, project. Yeah. <laughs> no, dumb done. Dumb oh, done. Dumb done. <laughs> the next dumb done that. project. <laughs> dumb and done that's nine that's 90 percent of games yeah well that's nine that's 90 percent of my games 100 <laughs> percent of our games no wait no we're not even done with we got that oh. <laughs> no you've done it man you guys are on steam man you're like you're real we got some games on steam one of them's not done it's it's haunting us it's in the background like finish us someday it'll be yeah. it'll be like Owlboy. it'll take nine years and it'll be just as just as good as Owlboy. Yeah. mark <laughs> Exactly, it's, exactly yeah, that good. Just as good. Yeah, that time thing, man, when, when these are your, like your side things or these are your hobbies, your passion project, like I remember like GDC last year, I was like, I'm going to release Pixel Vision 8. Oh, and I remember like, you talking about, yeah. It's a fucking like a year after <laughs> that, on top of that. It because, makes you wonder, like if you knew how long it was going to take when you started, you ever think about that? Like, would you have started? God, there were so many, there were so many days where I'd get to my hour in the day where I could do this and I'd be like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> yeah, I've been there, man. Like, just what am I doing? What am I doing? Like, yeah. I'm like an awful husband. I'm a failure as a father. <laughs> I'm just a, I just spend that hour just like beating yeah, yourself just, up. Like, hating myself. Like, I'm rewriting this yet again and no one's going to care. And it's, you know, we're, we're sort of talking about this, but like that, like that depression is something that I've like, I've struggled with, you know, whether it's it's a it's an artist thing or not, it's a um, I have struggled with depression like my entire life, and that uh, I don't know if you ever read the book uh, "Touched by Fire," but it's basically about like I believe it's called "Touched by Fire." I hope that's the name of it. I hope that's not like something really inappropriate. <laughs> that's so scandalous. <laughs> it, it's supposed to be like about like artist and manic depressiveness and like this the idea of you know that drive for wanting to create can almost drive you mad and. The last year has been rough. I think it's just you're squeezing so much of yourself out that sometimes it's all there. It's on, you know, it's on the paper, right? For yeah. you, it's in the computer, right? For us, it's 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 in the game. It's in, it's in the platform, right? And you don't have anything left in your tube. You've, you've, yes. you've squeezed out all your paint, and you're it's left an with awful just motion like motion you're making. Yeah, 
<laughs> glad this is not a video cast. But yes. but you don't have anything left, right? Like you've got less for your kids, left for your family. And this is a thing too. Uh, like especially, I think like Americans have this. You have less for yourself. Like we are punishing to oh. ourselves. We demand a lot out of ourselves. Like ambition is a real thing. You can't help but look at your neighbor and be like, well, dude, I mean that guy worked for four years and launched a game and it sold five hundred thousand dollars in the first month or whatever. You can't help but see that stuff and and you demand so much out of yourself and you 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 like you leave it all in the field right it, it kind of also comes from that place of insecurity right like where you're you know you don't want people or yourself to think that like hey you're wasting your time right and you do all this self-analyzing and self-critique about like you know how am i spending my time is this the best thing that i could be doing is this a waste of my life like it's it's hard not to think those thoughts yeah and it's you know it's a uh yeah it's it's a it's I'm definitely a person who burns the candle at both ends. Yeah. And it's, it's a challenge because, right, you want to have something to show for it. I struggle with that during my day job all the time because I am a person who, as an artist, I want to walk away at the end of the day holding the thing I've created. And when I'm filling out TPS reports all day long, <laughs> I don't feel like I've done anything. Like, I feel like I just, like, uh, well, I don't know what I did. Like, and what then, value have you added to the world today? Right. I filled out some more TPS reports. Occupied space today. I've, ocu- I've, I've become the thing that I hate the most. I'm a person who just breathes air. Like <laughs> I've consumed energy. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and, and, you know, and then I get to that hour in the day where I can sit down and do my thing. And it's just like, it's the most precious time I have in my life. And it's, it's to the point where I've, I've structured my entire life around that one hour I get a day. To the point of where, when I travel, I don't go out. I don't drink. I mean, I'll when I'm on the West Coast, I get up at three or four in the morning. I stay on New York time yeah, because yeah. I value being up before anyone else to get that work in before I'm bothered. When I'm home, I either stay up too late or I get up too early because I just I need that because if I don't have that outlet, then I've not created something that I can hold in the day, and then I've just breathed air and consumed. I and filled you. out TPS reports. Right? I hear you. And that's <laughs> yes. a struggle. And then I got to explain to someone why, why it's 10 fucking dollars. <laughs> it, because myself. it's my soul. <laughs> it's my soul. Yeah. Can you put a price on a man's soul? Nine ninety nine. <laughs> Apparently, nine ninety nine. <laughs> if it was only nine ninety nine, it wouldn't be a problem. Just change it from Pixel Vision Eight to Jesse Freeman's soul. Fuck you, pay me. That's <laughs> yeah, a tagline. That's, that's it. That's it. <laughs> oh man well this has been good stuff uh much longer than our normal podcast i think our audience will enjoy that um (laughs) i think that there's been lots of really solid points for why everyone listening should go buy pixel vision 8 right now (laughs) it's only ten dollars and or 9.99 probably not and it feels so like weird to hear that but thank you for the plug i'm just glad to come out and talk to you guys yeah a lot of fun yeah, uh, it's lonely. always good. It's always good to talk shop. So. <laughs> the, the, the one hour a day where I'm just on my computer yep. doing my stuff. I've, I just filled that in with actually talking to humans and contributing yes. back to society. Humans are good sometimes. Yeah. Computers are amazing, but humans are almost as good sometimes. <laughs> I made it out of a hotel. <laughs> it's awesome. Cool. Well, we really do appreciate your time. Yes, we know, thank you. as you've told us, it is very valuable and uh, and not uh, always uh, bountiful, right? So thanks for coming out. Thanks for chatting to us. Um, Pixel Vision 8 looks awesome. Jeff and I will both be picking up a copy, of course, and we recommend uh, Lost Cast listeners do the same. 
And uh, well, it was four years. Maybe we'll do it again in, in, in that amount of time years, or less. Four more years. Four something, more years. <laughs> something else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk about your next awesome project. It's like, oh man, that Pixel Vision eight thing. <laughs> that was a waste of my time. <laughs> oh man. Well, thanks a lot. Yeah. Thank you. Um, as always, check us out on Patreon, as we talked about. Uh, Patreon.com slash Lost Ticket Games. We're also on Twitter. Twitter.com slash Lost Ticket Games. And uh, thanks for listening. Ship it.
Hopefully it'll fall asleep. I'm hitting yeah, like sleepy the time. Post lunch. Uh, I know the big. It, it was like okay, maybe it wasn't such a good idea to eat. <laughs> Podcast then food probably. Ah, what are you gonna do? <laughs>